Hello and welcome to episode 2, August 2020 of the Bikes and Bulldust podcast. I'm Todd Reed, as always, alongside me in the co-host chair, Jed Guthrie. How you going, mate? Well, mate, we've come for a bit of a drive today. We've packed up the show and we're in this place that's labelled God's Country. That's so, it. we're up here at veteran off-road racer Josh Green's place. Thanks for having us, Greeny. No problems, anytime. Mate, what's happening with you? I mean, we might get into racing a bit later, but it's all off over at the moment and I can see you've been doing plenty, keeping yourself busy. We're parked up in your shed here and there's like more than enough to keep anyone busy. So, what's been happening? Um, yeah, I'm busy. <laughs> it's pretty simple. I, I'm always busy whether I'm racing or I'm working or I'm training people or I'm coaching or I'm mountain biking. Um, I'd never really stop. So um, we're kind of on hold at the moment. Uh, I'm training for I don't know when, so it's kind of hard to train. Um, but I've gone out and got myself a job building mountain bike trails, which is cool and uh, something I'm kind of interested in. Uh, I've always liked mountain biking. So You've still um, been riding plenty? I wouldn't say I've been riding as much as I normally ride. Um, I just don't see the the purpose of going out and risking and running 100% sprint laps and pushing myself to the max when, okay, when are we going to race next? So uh, I've been sort of still doing some motos and throwing some whips and... Just, just having fun. Having fun and went to the dunes today and run a mark and just, just having it fun, keeping it fun, but still riding enough that, you know, okay, we're on in four weeks, right, I can switch it on and, and go for it and we're good, so... Yeah, and you've got the gym set up here and everything and, you know, keep your fitness up that way as well. Yeah, yeah. for sure. I've been training really hard um, off the bike like I do any off-season. There's no real off-season for me. It's more of a off-bike season and train harder off the bike, you know, and then, you know, then you back your training off the bike down and get back on the moto. So, um, and I've been training a little bit for mountain bike racing as a bit of a side hobby at the moment. So, trying to build the legs a little bit stronger, get a bit more power to the ground. So, yeah. yeah. And building the trails. Well, yeah, that's my hands are getting super like they're already hard, but they're getting real super hard now from swinging off a rake and a shovel. So, Jed, what have you been up to this month? I know I've been pretty busy. We did a little trip down the dome that we did a special on, and we might go in the dome a bit more later. But what's been happening with you in the last couple of weeks, mate? Yeah, just the same. So went went down to the dome, um, had a ride down there. Obviously, haven't done much riding other than that because nowhere else has been open, um, and just mountain biking as well. Went to out to Glen Rock, mountain bike on the weekend and. Um, and work, yeah. obviously. It's been super wet here the last few days, so it's been hard to do a whole lot. I've been pretty quiet, hanging out with the kids and doing the family stuff and having a bit of a ride, yeah. tinkering on the Husky, as I always do. So that's been keeping me nice and busy. But anyway, let's get into the show a bit. So coming up on the show for this episode, we're going to talk a little bit of off-road with Greeny, naturally, since he's in. We'll talk some AMA motocross. Uh, there's plenty of Aussies in the MXGP this year, so we'll have a bit of a yarn about that. Australian motocross, there's a bit of musical chairs happening and God knows what else, so we'll touch on a bit of that. We've got Greeny on, like I said, so we'll get some of his thoughts and dive into his career a bit more with a bit more of an interview-style part somewhere in the middle of the show. I've got an interesting, I guess you could call it, scary for one, funny for others, and when you look back at it, a bit funny, social media post of the month. So last month, you you guys will remember the Motobot. We're going to try and do something similar every month, so... We'll grab that one a bit later, and then, of course, we'll repost it when that one comes around, plus the usual segment. So before we get into it as well, huge thank you to the listeners and all your feedback over the last couple of weeks. I've had some pretty cool messages, and Jed, you've been getting a lot of feedback as well? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Not only on our um, 
our our uh, podcast social pages, the Todd and Jed, for Facebook and Instagram, but also our personal pages, messages, um, you know, text messages, everything. Yeah, I've yeah, had heaps, heaps of phone calls. People bailing me up at work. So, yeah, yep, same, yeah. Yeah, so huge thanks to you guys. It's pretty humbling getting the feedback we have, so keep it coming. If you've got any questions, something you'd like us to talk about, hit us up and we'll cover it during the show. Australian Off-Road Championships, Granny, we'll start off with a bit of that. You're sitting second in the 450 class after the first three rounds, rounds one and two at Toowoomba. How's the racing? How's the track? How'd that go for you? Uh, Toowoomba was a bit of a struggle for me. Um, I decided to cuddle a gum tree about a month before. So, um, yeah, I had a few ribs and a sternum and a fractured neck going in. Uh, but apart from that, I was going, like, I training and everything leading up was really good. So I, I, even though I was kind of busted, I still felt pretty good. Um, the tracks there were a little sketchy. They were pretty high speed and rocky, but um, and it was weird. It was really wet, but the tracks were dry. So, like, the creeks were up and the pits were sloshy, but then the tracks were, like, dusty. Um, but, yeah, it was cool. It was a good event, and, um, yeah, I survived it was sort of what I was aiming for. How'd you end up at Toowoomba? What were your actual results? Um, so I was third both days in the 450s uh, and fourth outright both days in the, for the overall. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Round three and four came to Dungog. Round four was washed out. For those of you who don't know, how was Dungog? It's not far from where we are here at your place. Yeah, so. I guess that's my local round for sure. Um, yeah, the it was an epic, it's always epic Dungog. They run a cool event, a two-day enduro, which is something we don't really get to do too much of now. So we get to go trail riding out in the forestry and stuff. Um, started off, it was slippery, like it was wet, we'd had rain, but it was good. But then by lunch, it bucketed down, so it was just a full mud pit. And again, it was kind of like trying to go fast, but survival mode at the same time. Um, but yeah, I had a good round. Uh, yeah, got um, third in the 450s again. Yeah, nice. So yeah. the... Tracks themselves at Dungog, like you said, are pretty epic. And some of the listeners might not be familiar with, I guess, the formats of off-road, like what you just said. So some are enduro, some are sprints. Yeah, cross-country. Yeah, so the format at Toowoomba was? Uh, it's double sprint, so it was sprint both days. Mm-hmm. Yep, so there was there's two different tracks. There's usually like a junior track and a senior track, and then we swap the second day. So we have a fresh set of tracks for, for the second day of racing for the next round. And then, so that was two days of sprints. Um, Dungog's a two-day enduro. So we basically have two different special stages. And then we link that up with like a liaison section, which is time-carded. Um, so you've got a certain amount of time to make that certain distance um, and be back in your pits and service and be at the start for your next lap. So you've got to stay on time all day as well as go fast. So if you lose time on your liaison section or you break your bike or you don't make the day, every minute you're late into your control is a minute off your race time. So, you know, we race for seconds in a day. Like, you know, some days come down and we're on the same second. Um, so if you lose a minute, you may as well give up. That's big time you know, to catch a back big, up. big time to lose. And that's very similar to a four-day and a six-day and things like that. So. so in layman's terms for the listeners, you have a start a start line yep. and you race to the finish line. You get time for that period. Let's just say it goes for 10 minutes. Yep. And then that is your race time. That's your special stage time. Yep. yep. And then from, let's just say, the finish line to the next start line is your liaison section. And yep. you've got half an hour or 
Yeah, however long that section is. So, well, it starts before the first special test. So the special tests are within that liaison time. I see. So you'll start on your start time. You know, your start time might be 9 o'clock and mine might be 9.01. Yep. So all day, I'll be the minute behind you. Um, so you'll take off your ride. There'll be a special stage. You drop your bum bag, you come back off. You race that special stage section. You come back. Usually the start finishes right beside each other. You pick your stuff up and you keep going on the liaison section to the next special test. And so you may have an hour for that whole section. Um, when you come back in, usually if you're a top rider and you're quite fast, we'll have 10, 15 minutes in the pit. So we'll come in, fuel up, check over our bikes, you know, change goggles, have some food, whatever. But the slower guys, they might only come in with like a minute or two. Or if you've had a problem or you've cartwheeled and, you know, broke a wheel or something and you're trying to like fix your bike just to get it back to the pits. Um, and then basically you line up and you've got to go out and say you, you're at 9 o'clock, your next time's 10 o'clock, mine's 10.01. So it's you stay on that all day, and they're not set. So one section might be 45 minutes, the next section might be 20 minutes, the next section might be an hour and 30 minutes. Like So your time's changing all day, but yeah. Yeah, and then if if you're... If, if like you're saying, like the slower riders, intermediate or stuff, yeah. they're not getting that 10, 15-minute break to come in, fuel up, yeah. check over the bike, fix stuff. They, straight back out. They're going straight back out. Yeah. Keep going, buddy. Next lap. Yeah. And they, yeah. you know, they some some guys struggle to make, especially when it rained. I know, like, a, even some of my mates are quite good riders and they just never seen rain or mud like it. So they were just, like, minutes behind straight away. Just couldn't couldn't make the lap. You know, it was, it was pretty pretty bad. So where the track was, it was a little bit lower and we went up into the mountains in the trail sections and it was just, like, waterfalls of mud running down the hills. I had a ball, but I can see why people were a bit... Struggling a bit. So. Yeah, yeah. You'll ride anything. The different formats are pretty interesting. Like, I've done a few. Um, and, yeah, I think it's a pretty interesting way to go about the racing. And it definitely mixes up, which I think makes it pretty fun for you guys. So, you've got, like, guys like yourself, Milner, Sanders, and plenty of others who are all, like, world-class. You know, Pricey was in the field before. Yep. And back before that, Grabo. And there's so many yeah, people. there's so many people now. AJ. AJ's a good example. Matty Phillips. Yeah. How many you want to go? Steph Merriman. <laughs> There's yeah. a lot. Do you want me to keep rolling? And <laughs> no, it's no, no. world class. So <laughs> yep. what I'm going to sort of ask is like there's so many people and on a motocross track when you get those competitive people, it's just so dog eat dog. But when you go to an off-road event, which I've been to quite a few, it's a totally different atmosphere. You guys have a very different relationship to the dog eat dog of motocross. Not to say you're not competitive. You're fiercely competitive. But it's just a different atmosphere in the paddock. I mean, what do you think about that? For sure. I mean, off-road... You know, off-road 15 years ago was, you know, it wasn't, it was still serious, but it was more buddies and friends and hanging out. And um, so I think it's sort of just kept that, you know, not to say that I'm best friends with Milner or Chucky, but hey, I'll have a conversation with them. I've got both their phone numbers. If they're in the area, I'll take them riding. But I know motocrosses, some team trucks, they don't even talk under the team truck. Like it's sort of a bit, and I've been to motocross races myself and raced and like say day to people and they just stare at you and you're like, come on, man, like what's... What's what's wrong? Like we're just we're all frenzy. Get me on a, get me a helmet on and I'm on the start line. Okay, well I'll run it in if I need to to anyone. You know we're going for it. But then we'll finish, shake hands, well done, you did good. You know, and I'm the first out of you know I think any of the pros to say you know Chucky's riding well today or Milner's riding well today, and I'm happily to say that. Like these guys are going fast. I don't know. I mean, I get you don't want to show your competition what you're doing when you're practicing. I kind of get that a little bit, but at the same time. I'm training and riding three or four kids that are going to take my job any day, so you just got to accept it, I guess. 
it's a totally different atmosphere and it's cool to get your perspective on it. Like I've yeah. experienced it in the past, like a long time ago when I raced off roads and had her and stuff like that. But yeah. you know, there's a lot of people out there who are just motocross guys and who just wouldn't understand it. And it's such a cool atmosphere. Yeah. And those events are so much fun too. And like, I think that really adds to the fun of those races. Well, you just, it's bike time too. And that's the reason I did it from, from a kid, you know, we weren't driving six hours to do three 10 minute motos every weekend. I was going and getting anywhere between eight and 12 hours on a bike on a weekend. So value for money, ride my bike. That's what all I wanted to do. So uh, I think a lot of people have a lot of fun in that sense. Um, yeah. And it's just, it's good. Everyone chats, everyone's friendly, everyone's helpful. Um, there's no real, you know, negative, you know, everyone has their hates. and. Well, like and you said, there's people often under the same truck for the same team. Who won't even say hello to yeah, each other. Yeah, they won't talk. Yeah. yeah. I've seen that with motocross. Like, I've walked, literally walked through the pits and I, I don't talk to my teammate. What do you mean? I'm like, and Stike's Stark, kind of a perfect example because he's come from motocross. And then all of a sudden, AJ, like, he's rocked up on our truck and AJ's like, you need to listen to everything Josh says. He's sitting there looking at him like, you kidding? I'm not listening to anything this guy says. He's my competition. <laughs> and, like, I'm trying to take him to go walk on tracks. And he's like, no, I'm going to walk on my own. Oh, all right, no worries. And then th- then he then he he didn't get it as well as what he thought he did. So then he, the next day he's like, oh, can I come walking with you? I'm like, oh, so now you want me to help you? I'm like, yeah, no worries. Like, I get it. But to see him transform has been kind of cool because, um, yeah, he's probably the most motocrossy guy that's come across. I mean, I had Bo on the team for a while, but Bo's pretty relaxed. But Stike was so... Like, Stike would be that guy in the truck that wouldn't talk to his teammate at all, wouldn't even look at him because he's that mentally focused on what he's doing. And I get it, but... We're not like that. He was even like that at the practice track and like at product launches and stuff. I remember going to a Yamaha launch and he wouldn't like talk to anyone. It was like the most kicked back day. It was at Echo Valley at Toowoomba. I don't know if you were there or not, but we were all there hanging out. Actually, I think he was riding for Serco at the time. I think I was there. He was like not talking to people and I was like, Chill out, bro. It's just a media day. Like, yeah, isn't it good. kind of your job to be here to chat to the media yeah. about stuff? But, but it's cool to hear he's, you know, changed that a bit now. For sure. Cool. I know. It's a big change. And, like, you know, Stark rings me once a week now just to talk smack, you know, and, you know, have a laugh and stuff. So to see that is kind of funny in a way, um, you know, because he was very, I'm not talking to my teammates. I'm not doing anything with my teammates. Whereas now he'll go, oi, what line are you taking? Oi, what are you doing here? You know, and like, I'll ask him too, you know, so... Um, but yeah, I, I just find that very weird in the whole motocross world that there's so much like hate and it's like they hate each other. For what? They're all there to do the same thing and enjoy the same. But I think it starts at a junior age as well. You see it at, at club days, you know, local club days. You know, kids not talking to other kids and stuff. And Mini dads. Oh. So dads, Mini dads that's, that's it. That's, it's, it's, that's, 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 that's where it stems from. Kid, we're going to be the next Ryan Villapoto. You're not talking to him. We're going to flog him. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, no. So the four days already been cancelled for the year and God knows however many other events, same as the six days. Do you enjoy the four days and the six days? They're quite different to some other events, are they? For sure, they're very unique. Um, and usually the people running the four day are super passionate about it. So they, they're really good events because, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into running a four day event because, you know, you're in a town and there's councils and so many different people's land that you're using. Like it's a really big thing to do. So the people who are doing it are super passionate. So they're really good events usually. Usually it's really good trail riding and it's really good. And I guess the clubs running it or the people running it want to pump their chests for the next three or four years going, no, we had the best four day, you know. So it's kind of like they're pumping their chests going, no, we're the best. We're the best four day. And, you know, 
they're just cool events. You ride for four days. That's that's epic. Who doesn't want to ride their dirt bike for four days? Um, you know, and some are harder than others. Cessnock was an epic event, but it was dry. I've never ridden bulldust like it. Like it was like meter deep bulldust ruts in every special test. It was crazy, but I still had a good time. I still had fun. Um, the six days are rad. Um, it's the six days are even stranger. The whole going back to the whole motocross off road thing. On a race day, I don't really go and hang out with Chucky or with Milner or, and I don't really, like, I don't walk tracks with them. But then at the sixth day, we all get out of a minivan together and we all go to the same cafe and eat the same food together and then we all go walk the same special test. So it's like all of a sudden, they're your teammates under your truck, but these are the guys you're banging bars with all year. So the sixth day is really cool. You know, there's guys there that I barely talk to through the year and all of a sudden, I'm hanging out with them or I'm sleeping in the same room at the sixth day with them. And then we've all got our friends, you know, we're, we're good buddies with the American guys and then, you know, Philip's had his contacts with Europe, so we're buddies with those guys and, and some of the guys from like Spain and that, I raced when I was there and um, I get to see him every year at six day, which is cool, we get to catch up and talk a bit of shit and, you know, we can go, oh, you know, like who's faster now? You know, there's guys I was racing at Junior World Enduro who are still racing now and we're still banging bars now, so that's cool. Um, so the six days, I mean, you're representing your country. Yeah, like that's that's the pinnacle. So it's it's a very cool, proud event just to be a part of. So yeah. looking down towards the rest of the year, hard to tell what's going to happen as far as racing is concerned and what the calendar is going to do. I know there's still a bit on the schedule for the off road championship here in Australia. Do you know much about what's going on? Have you been sort of... Do they talk to you as much from the organisers and MA and that? I or? mean, they don't want to freak everyone out, I think, because of the whole COVID thing. Um, but it's pretty simple. If if any of the states have a lockdown, we can't go racing because you can't run a national event without all the... Everyone there, you know. You can't run without Tassie or you can't run without Victoria. Like, So while there's some sort of lockdown or, or a city's even locked down, we can't go. Yeah. So... Um, State stuff, is that still going to run? I think Not so. Sure. Um, Appen was due in like two weeks, but they've had to postpone that because Campbelltown's a hotspot now, I think. That's yeah, what's going on. Yeah, it is, so, yeah. But like I've I've gone out and entered Transmoto, so I've got two teams going to Nabiak and a team going to Coffs just because I want to race my dirt bike. Um, I pay for that out of like it's part of my coaching thing. Um, but at the same time, I feel like... I, I need to go racing for Yamaha, whether it's a fun race or not. I need to be out there doing my job. So if I can't race a state, let's go race Transmoto. Are you going to race yeah. the Transmoto ones? Yeah. 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 So I've got, I got two teams hooked in for Nabiak. I've got my A team and my B team. So we're going to have a bit of a battle between us there. So there's a few slow and fast guys on both teams. In-house. Um, yeah, That's just good. in-house stuff. Um, and then i got a team at Coffs which I had that, but it got postponed. So whenever that's on, we've got a team there too. So I'm going to do one of these Transmoto events one day. And Jed, I'm going to bail you up and get you along to one. I know you sit here and tell me I'm not a tree hugger. I don't like going in the bush. I'm a fancy little motocross guy. But you're going to come to one of these things and it's going to be fun. Yeah, I don't know. I just don't get along well with trees. Greeny's got I've a, had a few issues with Greeny will lend you this stumps. WR behind you. They're, behind not, too, they're not too tree because they're... They're built so people can pass, so it's not like you're in full, tight, single track, but I'm just going to tell you to pick your Transmoto. Yeah, that, that's and that's the other issue. I remember years ago, we were, we were going to NL1, it might have been Dungog, I think. Or, I think it was the Stroud, or Stroud one. Right and I said, it's either going to be a bog hole or a dust bowl. No. Nah. I'm all good, thanks. Coughs looks like it's so, the best one. 
Coffs was epic. So Coffs was like mainly grass track and it rained and it was like a little slippery first lap and then it got prime time and then pretty much like an hour or two in, it started getting a little dry. It rained again and it was prime time again and then it got a little dry again and it ra- and it was just like all day was just perfect yeah. and it was grass so you could pass. Like that's the biggest thing. So Stroud is epic but we've had either full mud or full dust. Dust is worse for me because dust people can still half ride fast. So in the, when it's dusty, it's hard to catch and pass someone that's a good rider. In the mud, you can pass 30 bikes a corner because like, most people struggle in the mud. We actually and stuck. <laughs> we almost go faster in the mud. Like It doesn't really slow us down that much. Like you know, Say a 20-minute lap, we might lose a minute, but some people will lose an hour compared yeah. to try to wet. You know, it's just, so for me, the wet's easier because I'm running roll-offs and I'm third, fourth gear around five or six people at once like it's just you know easier but yeah pick your transmodos because when it's bulldust it's a hard time yeah. we're going to twist your arm Jed we're going to oh, get you to one Nabiak. I'm keen for the camping and beers yeah we'll just pick the weather yeah yeah and pick your track Coffs is cool I think Nabiak sand so unless it's like super dry Nabiak will always be yeah, cool be right. I don't mind sand yeah. Um, it gets deep though it gets deep I might struggle in that I'm not the strongest, fittest person. I so like it. We'll have to go Rothbury. That'll be struggle street for me. Oh, yeah, Rothbury. No, that track's too short now. Oh, is it? Have you seen the sand track at the Rothbury? No, I haven't been out there. He hasn't there been out the there. Time. I need to take him out there, but you've got to go after it rains like this, obviously. Yeah, 100%. As, as, as it's like know, a club yeah. day. There's that many people there. But um, it it used to be like, I remember riding there when we, like I was one of the first guys to cut in the sand loop, and it was like two and a half, three minutes a lap. And I think it's like 35 or 36 seconds now. Oh, yeah, wow. okay. Because like, everyone oh. just keeps going, oh, that's too hard. We'll shortcut it. Oh, we'll sh- oh, there's nowhere to ride now. Well, no doubt. If you rode the original track, it's a bit better. Right. It was like yep. nearly three minutes long, so it was a bit easier to do a 30 minute moto. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I haven't been out there for a while, so. Well, we'll do one of these trans yeah. moto events, Jed. We're going to sign you up. You can ride your bike, it'll be okay. We'll soften the clickers up and we'll get into it. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Search Todd and Jed. AMA Motocross, it's on, Jed. We've got a schedule. It's locked in, I think, I hope, I want it to be, but obviously subject to change at any point. On the last show, we spoke about the series going to Loretta Lynn's for the first time, and since then, it's been shuffled up the order, and it's now going to be the series opener, which should be pretty cool. So nine rounds over nine weeks, and then we've got a weekday race scheduled at Redbud for round five. The rest of the venues are all regulars on the circuit, ones that we're used to seeing, Millville, Thunder Valley, Washougal, and all that kind of thing. And the series misses out on the visit to Unadilla, Southwick, and Bud's Creek, which are all East Coast races, so I guess those states must be in some kind of lockdown or whatever. And then Hangtown in California has been cancelled for a long time now, and that's obviously a West Coast race. So interesting schedule. But just going back to Loretta Lynn's for a minute, AMA Amateur National is actually on there next week as we record this, so August 3 to August 9. So how cool would it be to see that Loretta's event actually stay there like the week before or the week after, you know, the Pro National, the Amateur National, have them both there at the same time? I reckon that'd be sick. It would be, and that's where a lot of the the riders have grown up and they've qualified, you know, through Loretta's and everything. That's where their amateur careers have come from. And I've listened to a few interviews and podcasts on this Loretta's um, the round being there, and people have actually people are entering to go back and ride the track because hey, this might not happen again. They're like, 
you know, I've done my amateur career here and I want to go back and ride the track again. Um, obviously, they're, they're hoping it's going to be a national level. Talking about the first corner, a couple of trees and stuff. Hopefully, they fix that out, extend it, put a few more straights in and everything. But the most of the hype is everyone's keen to go back. I think it's pretty cool from the juniors' point of view, like being one of those junior kids who's at the race and, you know, you do your own thing. Then to watch the pros, you know, before it or after it, whatever it is, race the same track and do all them things because I think it would just give those kids so much more perspective and, like, they'd be so much more excited for it and all that kind of thing. I think it would be pretty epic, you know, if they did something like that every year. Yeah, yeah, continue it on for the years to come for sure. Yeah, why not? Um, I don't know how that's going to work. I've listened to an interview with Davey Coombs, you know, obviously the Racer X promoter of the National uh, – of the Pro Motocross. Um, and basically it's going to be restricted. They're going to run off the same guidelines as the AMA Supercross. So I don't think the juniors will be able to stay around, but, you know, in future years, hopefully they can. Yeah, that's sort of what that's, I was getting at. Like, yeah, yeah. This year, understandable, but, you know, down the track – I think it'll be super cool to have that as like just a massive big event in that area and yeah you know it really hypes it up for all the kids and the kids families and all that which I think is pretty big for motocross because it mm. you know we are all a big family and it would make it so much more fun yeah getting into the riders and some of the classes we might start with the 250 class I think we'd all agree including you greeny that uh number 1 number 2 at the end of the year Hunter and Jet Lawrence they're going to be spraying champagne yeah oh, I hope so Come on. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm, ba- I'm backing the Aussies 100%. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I know uh, in reality, uh, maybe not, but we're all backing them. I, I hope they do. But I you know. hope they do, for sure. They're, I mean, they're both riding super well. I think Hunter's a really good motocross rider. Yep. Um, I haven't really seen Jet do too much motocross, but Supercross, he's super calculated and pretty talented. I and think Jet will shine at Loretta's. He's not scared to risk it either. So, you know, if he commits and pulls it off, mm, he's going to be quite fast for sure. Anyone else that grabs your attention in that 250 class, Greeny? Like anyone in particular that comes to mind? I mean, I'm a little out of it all now. Um, I love watching it, but I don't really pay too much attention. But uh, I know Sexton's 450, so he's gone up to we'll get 450. get to the 450s yeah. in a sec, yeah. Um, so, you know. You've got Faulkner. He's still there. Yeah. What about you, Jed? Um, Anyone that yeah grabs your attention yeah, in that 250 class? You've still got all those. Um, I think March Banks is out, but you've got Faulkner, McAdoo. Um, you know, you've still got all those top 250 riders. The only ones that are going up is Sexton. Faulkner's I out. Think. Oh, is he? Yeah, I think he hurt himself at the end of Supercross there, man. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't know if he was back or not. I thought he was back, but yeah, okay. Long story short, we're all going for the Lawrences and screw everyone else. Jet and Hunter, that's all I'm worried about. That's (laughs) that's the reason why I watch the 250s is to watch the Aussie guys. Like, I was excited to watch Supercross because of Clout and, you know, both, you know, Jet and Hunter. That's that's why I was watching the lights. Otherwise, usually I'm one of the guys that doesn't watch Supercross and I just go to the final and watch the final. Because if there's something that gnarly goes on, I'll see it on Instagram later anyway. I think the Yamaha guys in that 250 class are going to be pretty hard to to match. I think their bikes are a little bit of a cut above everyone else. Yep. And I think yeah, that star Yamaha team just in general are going to be pretty hard to beat. They've got it going on for sure. Yeah, in the 450 class, I've got a bit of a soft spot for Zach Osborne. I like his outlook and attitude and, you know, he's a family man. Plus his mechanic is an Aussie guy, Dave Feeney, who I know a little bit. So that's a pretty cool connection there. I think he's forming Supercross at the end of the series there in Salt Lake. You know, if that's anything to go by. He got a win there at the end and some podiums. I think he'll be a top three guy, but I find it hard to believe anyone's going to beat Tomac over the series. He's too strong. Three championships in a row. This will be the fourth one if he was to get it. 
plus coming off his first Supercross championship. I mean, full good luck beating that guy. Full of confidence. Yeah. For sure. Jed, I know you're a bit of a Cooper Webb fan. Any yeah. Anything that, you know, what do you see coming up in the series? Yeah, well, as you said, Cooper Webb, you've still got um, Roxton, Sexton stepping up. I've, I've heard he's on fire. Adam Cincerello. I think he's going to be in tow behind Tomac. I think AC is going to be going fast. That was who I was going to say. I'm a big Ken Roxon fan. I just like the guy. I like what he does. I like his style. I like everything about him. But I think AC is going to turn a lot of heads. I think he's going to be real hard to beat. Um, Tomac. I think he is, yeah. yeah. The Yamaha guys, I know you boys are Team Yamaha across from me as you sit here, but I mean, I don't know how Barsh is going to go. He's a bit hot and cold. Tickles filling in for the injured Plessinger. So, yeah, I'm not sure how they're going to go. And yeah, he said it without difficult. saying it, but Ferris pretty much said the bike wasn't real flash last year when he was there. And I know they've had some development guys working on that thing. But you got Villapoto testing the bike. So he's doing he's doing development. Villo should line up. He'd smoke him. Apparently he was touching a few people up at um, Glen Helen practicing. He was on lap times. He was smoking a few of the top pro guys still. So he... He was running behind Webb. He should line up and just do a race, just for shits and giggles. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think it's going to be a good series. Interesting to see how it goes. And as we said before, go the Aussies. If you have a question or something you would like to talk about, send us an email or message us on Facebook and Instagram. MXGP kicks back off this month, boys. So we've got rounds three, four, and five that are going to be run over a week. So Sunday, Wednesday, and then Sunday at the Kegums Circuit, if that's how you say it, in Latvia. Anyone with a good memory will remember that one was the venue of the 2014 Motocross Des Nations. Aussies in the mix. We've got Mitch Evans on the factory Honda 450 on that prototype, which is now going into production. So that'll be cool to see. He was really fast in the preseason and in the first few GPs until he got hurt. So... I'm really looking forward to seeing how his, he goes and how that new bike develops. Jed Beaton, he's lining up on the factory Husqvarna in the 250 class, so no shortage of power, and I think he's going to be on a really good bike. Nathan Crawford, Bailey Malkowicz on the 114 Honda team, which is Hunter Lawrence's old team. So I think that's going to be interesting to see how those guys go. It's an all-Aussie rider team. The bikes that Hunter rode... I don't think we're all that fast. And Crawford's a pretty big dude. So I don't know how he's going to go as far as power goes on that thing, being a big guy on a slow bike on a lot of sand tracks. Like this Latvia circuit, it's pretty sandy. You know, I watch video of races there in the past and it looks like it sucks a bit of power out of the bike. So I think that's going to be interesting to see how, how those guys go on the bike. Wilson Todd is riding for the Dixon Racing Kawasaki team, which are renowned for having super fast 250s. But... I really don't know what's going on with Wilson Todd. He's came home to get a knee uh, repaired. He blew out an ACL. And on his socials, he's been mountain biking and rope swinging and having, like, living the good life in Cairns. And he's absolutely nowhere near Europe. So I don't know whether he's ready to go or not, but hopefully we see him back over there pretty soon. Any thoughts from you guys? Greeny, I know you've been, you know, to Europe before and spent some time over there, which we'll get into later, but... You know, what's it like over there for these guys as far as just that training and getting around is concerned? Uh, I mean, if you've got a good team, it's good for sure. Um, you'll definitely miss home. There's no place like home. So that was the biggest thing for me was Australia's rad. <laughs> Why would you want to leave? But to race world championships, pretty damn cool. So um, as long as they've got good people around them, 
and motocross is a lot easier to go and practice practice tracks through the week and stuff in Europe. So I think their training will be really good. Um, and if they want it bad enough, it's it's where they need to be. So, you know, they're in a really good position for sure. Jed, any thoughts on those guys? You know, Evans on that factory bike, same with Beaton. Yeah, no, I think they'll have they'll, like they were strong at the start, and we've had time off and everything. Did he? We did hear that story about Mitch Evans was back here in Australia. I think it was Mitch Evans, um, and they wouldn't they wouldn't let him ride. He was like, "I'll go buy a bike, you know, I'll I'll get a bike and ride." No, you don't ride here in Australia. You wait till you come back, you know. Um, obviously, they're back over there now, so I think they'll be I'll, they'll be strong. Yeah, I think that HRC Honda thing's pretty interesting. Like. We spoke to Chris Woods and he was speaking to Mitch Evans because Evans rode for Woodsy there last year, I think it was. Yeah. Um, and he was telling Chris about some stuff and then Todd Waters did an interview. Um, pretty sure it was with the guys at Dirt Action and I read there and like how little input the riders had to the bike. Like they were coming in from test sessions and I think it was Waters was saying in his, like they were just saying, yeah, here's your bike, man, off you go. And he was like, can we change this? Can we change that? And it just, nothing changed because he was a fill-in rider there a couple of years ago and it sounded like similar things were happening with Evans from the info we got. So that's a European thing. Yeah, but 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 to the to the to the point of get the rider going out and riding the bike, testing it, coming back in, generally you give input. I'm sure you give input yeah, sure. to, to, to your mechanics and they go No no. No no no. We know what the bike's doing. It's on the computer here. Yeah. You twist the throttle old mate. Yeah we'll we'll adjust it. Pretty much. And their way is the only way. That's a very European thing. They won't go outside of their box. It's what they do and what... Like, I, I had a bike that was really good and then they changed it the next week. Like, I won on the bike at a world level and then the next week they changed it. I was like, but I won on that one. No, this one suits you better. And it was terrible. But I won on that one. No, that one's no good for you. So just leave it. Just leave that. Uh, don't even rebuild it. Just leave it as is. <laughs> like, it's right. ready to go. Yeah. I think so. that's a pretty big misconception, hey? Like, people think factory bike and they just get all wowed by it, but... Unless you actually have it the way you want it. It's yeah. a bit pointless. Like. I think a factory bike was like a 90s thing. Yeah. You know, it was a 90s thing. You know, a factory bike now, yeah, like, I mean, they get cool stuff and cool parts and titanium and whatever, but they're not, like, custom. Like, I remember, like, Reedy's frames being different and... Yeah, you know, all sorts of trick were, stuff. Like, his, I remember picking up his silencer one day and it was lighter than his bar pad and you were just like, what do you mean? That's mine. Carbies that were you cut know, off and, yeah. like, all that sort that of weird stuff. That was the factory day thing. I don't think that it's as big of a thing anymore. I yeah. think it's more that, you know, if you've got the money, I think anyone can have a factory bike. Quote, unquote, really. factory, yeah. yeah. You can exactly. buy yourself a spot on the race team. Yeah. Well, that's what happens, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I, I hope we see Mitch Evans on that podium. I think he's certainly capable and I think probably beaten as well. The other guys, time will tell. Hopefully their bikes are good. And yeah, even yeah, to get them like top five, top tens, you know, consistency. If they can do that, that's, that's I a think that's good a win for those guys for in sure. their first season. You know? yeah, so hopefully goals and, hope, and smash it. Yeah, let's hope we see those guys, you know, at the pointy end as much as we can and all the best for that GP series. Obviously, there's a whole lot more rounds to go besides these three in Latvia, but... I'm not going to predict that. We'll talk about that in the next show. Hurlings. He's going to win, Jet. He's going to win everything. Isn't Prado going up? He is. Prado hurt himself, but I think he'll be back now for the series. But, yeah, yeah. I think as far as winners is concerned, if someone yeah. can beat Hurlings and... You're doing Hur pretty good to beat Hurlings. Yeah. The only that, person that's going to beat Hurlings is himself. That guy's badass. Yeah. Yeah. So. If you haven't already, subscribe for free on your favourite podcast app. Not much news on the series, but 
A bit of news in the pits with the Aussie Motocross and Supercross series at the moment, fellas. And if you believe the mail that's going around, it looks like we're going to see a five to six round motocross championship with the series opener being in late September. I'm not sure how reliable that is or where the venues are going to be. But from my point of view, I think the smart thing would be to look at, you know, picking a location, say, southeast Queensland and just run a handful of events there, you know, like MX Farm there at Gympie, Harvey Bay, Coolum, Conondale, Toowoomba. Cool. All those tracks have run nationals before, so I don't see why you couldn't again. You know, you've got Queensland Moto Park in that area somewhere for people to ride during the week or whatever. I mean, you could have these things every fourth or fifth day. They don't have to be on weekends. You know, teams could base themselves out of QMP there. That's sort of, I know it's not the closest place to the coast and the most fun spot, but it's away from everything and they could certainly base themselves there or not far from there. So I think that's an idea or... Or, you know, or maybe even break it up into two legs of three rounds or something like that. You know, that could make it maybe a bit easier for privateers. I can see people going, oh, you know, six rounds in Queensland in five or six weeks is a bit tough on privateer dudes. But, you know, you could have three rounds, say, in Queensland at any of them tracks or, you know, three down here in New South Wales over a few-week period, you know, a month later or something. Maitland, Appen, Nowra, Port Macquarie. Again, all tracks that have had nationals before and... I don't see why they couldn't hold them again. So, you know, I don't see, yeah, why they couldn't have them on the calendar. They aren't all that far away from each other. And, yeah, but who knows what happens. It's going to be interesting to see how this unfolds. MA are saying that I think it was early August they're going to release a calendar, but who knows. So. I think anything's better than better than nothing and um, keeping them consolidated. Maybe, you know, three here, three there, New South Wales, Queensland, saves fuel, accommodation, stuff like that. Yeah, like we saw the so. the racing bubble in Salt Lake City in the AMA motor, uh, Supercross. I don't see why we couldn't transplant that back here for ourselves a little bit and just go, right, we're going to run a series, two or three weeks here, two or three weeks there. This is how we're going to run it. Sorry to the privateers, but this is an exceptional case. We need to have the series. So, And the guys that are committed are committed. They're going to yeah. turn up. They're going to rock up and they're going to stay in their van and they're going to go racing. And the, it, the the manufacturers should help them. So, you know, if they do have a truck set up at QMP and there is a bunch of private Yamaha guys there, then I'm sure they're not going to mind them camping at the back of the truck with a quick shade and going, hey, I need a set of brake pads now and again. You know, like it, they've got to keep it going. And um, for sure, it can be made possible. That's for sure. Yeah. And like I know privateers or people are going to go, oh, it's not good for everyone. It's an exceptional circumstance. We need to run a championship. We need to crown a champion. You know, let's get Kurt Gibbs and Hayden Melross and all these guys out on the track. Let's have a series. Yep. I know you're not going to have a full grid, and I know you're not going to have all the privateers, and and that is unfortunate. You know, long term, that's not the solution for the sport. But let's try and do something, you know, and uh, maybe they could even do that in something like your series, Greeny, there in the off-road, you know. Like, yeah, maybe for sure. We're a little bit... Less team-based, though, I think. Like, we're a little bit more privateerish. Whereas the motocross, there is that, you know, six, seven, eight truck teams, mm. you know, two or three riders a team. So you can, you know, half-field grids at, at most, you know, and still have a series. Um, and a lot of those guys, are, that's their job, that's their income. Like, they've got families and stuff. So, you know, not everyone's going out and getting a job like I have. So, for sure, they need to go racing at some level at some point. You know, and and I understand that manufacturers probably aren't going to pay the same contingency for a small series over a 10-round series, but, hey, anything's better than nothing. Yeah, we've got to get it done. That's the point there. For sure. 
I've been doing a little bit of digging around, and there's some mid-season musical chairs happening with a few different riders. Luke Clout has returned back to Australia, uh, racing for the Penrite Honda team. He was originally scheduled to ride a 450 in our motocross championship and was only going to do a handful of rounds in the States, but due to his success in the States, which is a good thing, he then said he was going to stay there for the season, Supercross only, um, and would possibly miss the motocross here. But I think that Cloudy's got some plans to come back here and race for that in that championship, should it happen, wherever it might be, for the Penrite yep. Honda team. And uh, the mail says he's digging around for a ride again in the States again next year and trying to line that up. I would guess it's with Penrite Honda again. Um, who knows? But, yeah, I think there's certainly some talk there that Cloudy's very keen to get back to the States next year. Dylan Walsh, young Kiwi kid who spent a few years racing on the European scene and was the 2019 250 British motocross champ. He came back and rode a, a Yamaha over the summer in New Zealand, which is where he's from, um, with some help from Ben Townley and Josh Coppin, who, as you guys know, also have you know big history in Europe and, and Townley a bit in the States as well. He was scheduled to ride for Serco Yamaha on a 250 this year, but then that all fell over and he took off to the States uh, to ride a 450 Kawasaki, where by the looks of things, I think he was chasing a fill-in ride at Pro Circuit Kawasaki because of the amount of injuries they've had. The connection there, the way I see it, is Townley. Townley used to be a Pro Circuit rider and won a championship for Mitch back in the day. So maybe there was a bit of, hey, mate, get yourself to the States and get yourself in front of those guys. They're never going to pull you out of New Zealand. Get in front of them to try and get that ride. Doesn't look like that's happened. And now there's another press release saying that Dylan's headed back to the UK to ride a 450 in the British Motocross Championships should that series happen. So bit of a head scratcher to get you around, your head around all of that. But anyway, good luck to Dylan and let's hope he does well. All of that left a vacant seat here in Australia at Serco Yamaha. And Raceline KDM 250 pilot Jesse Dobson jumped out of that seat and went to the Serco seat. So Dobson was a privateer on a 450 last year on a Husky. Had some good results at a few rounds there. Um, I must say I was a little bit surprised to see him get that race line ride to start with. I was kind of expecting maybe one of the Aussie kids, someone like a Pozniak or someone to get it, but obviously not. So for him to turn up now at Zerko sort of scratched my head a bit. I tried to dig around for a bit of info, couldn't find much out, and I'm not sure we'll what the motivation was to leave the Raceline team. Maybe, was it a dollar thing? Was it the bike? I mean, I have no idea what's going on there. And Interesting to see why you change teams. And Raceline have, to this point, made no mention that they're going to fill the spot either. So, yeah, And they're a dominating team as well, you know, the the Raceline KDM team. So Ferris yeah. is there. The bike should be pretty good. So That's right. Certainly a head-scratcher for me. I mean, that Yamaha is really good as well. So it, I don't think it's a bike thing, but... Definitely a weird one. So anyway, like I said, we'll dive into maybe some more predictions in the next pod or when we know some sort of series is happening. But Probably one to ride a Yamaha, I'd say. Oh, here we go. Team you Blue Crew. You can't blame him. Do you want me to get the violin out now for you boys? <laughs> Do you know what he heard? He heard Stark was lining up. Did he really? And he decided that he wouldn't beat Stark on the KDM, so maybe that's why he's going to Yamaha, so at least he's on fair plan. You reckon your mate Stark's going to line up? Your teammate. Stark's going to win the title. Just mic drop. We'll just leave that right there. <laughs> Stark is your MX2 Australian champion in 2020. 100%. All of the 
2021 model bikes have now broken cover, except Gas Gas, and that's if a 2021 model is even coming from the, well, now KDM-owned brand. I mean, it's crickets on that front, and COVID, I'm sure, has messed up their whole production and, you know, pre-production testing, the whole outlook for the, the Gas Gas brand. So who knows with that? The CRF450, all new everything, so I'm not going to dive into the bits and pieces of that one. Looks the same as that pre-production model from the GP guys that they've been riding in Europe. Looks really cool to me. I think, to me anyway, it's the most interesting bike for next year as far as, you know, what's new. Roxon and Chase Sexton will be on it in the in the States, and I think it's going to be interesting to see how that develops, especially with Kennard, Trey Kennard, working as the team's development rider there. As far as power goes, I'm you know, I'm sure any sort of 450 like that's fast enough. It's not hard to get a power out of that size engine. But, you know, getting that handling and, and balance right will be interesting and to see how that unfolds. I, I think, well, in my opinion, they've been a step behind the Austrian bikes in that department the last couple of seasons. So, yeah, I think that'll be cool to see how that goes. The KX250F, or KX250 as it's now known, it's all new as well. Electric start, finally. They've copied, copied the clutch design from the KTM and Husky for both the 450 and 250, so it's got that... Uh, concave spring at the front which acts as a spring so the six springs that are normally in a clutch are out and they've now got that spring washer I guess you could call it which loads your spring Um, that Kawasaki used to be a pretty big powerhouse you know 2012 13 14 it was one of the fastest 250fs and it really hasn't been the last few years so be interesting to see if that thing's back at the front of the pack you know with that new model bit of a side note from Kawasaki though I don't know if you boys read press releases a whole lot i probably probably not i guess i do because i do the testing a bit more someone at kawasaki has this obsession with pistons every year it comes out and they're like the new bridged box bottom piston the new piston with blah 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 coating every year and it's happened for like 10 years i don't know what they've got for pistons but like you watch oh the kawasaki piston so is i guess you got to change something part, is it the same part number it's probably the same piston and they just go backwards and Copy forwards. and pasted the same thing that he's written from years before <laughs> in the press release. You've got to change something. B&G. Oh, here we graphics. Go. Piston and graphics. Team, yeah. Uh-huh. graphics. Yeah. <laughs> what do you do? Put a blue piston in, do you? No. Oh, you can't we'll, buy blue pistons? Or? We'll go more into the Yamahas later. All oh, right. Well, we're up to the Yamahas now. Well, come on. Let's How lay it out. How good are they? Oh. <laughs> How good do the new 450s and the 250s look? So the 450 is the same with new graphics. It's coming to the end of its model cycle, though, if you look at history anyway. I'm sure COVID's thrown a spanner at that. So it'll be interesting to see what happens down the track there. 250, new chassis, updated engine. I'm not going to get into all the parts, but effectively it's got more power and it's aimed at mid to top. So more revy power, which is a bit more along the lines of how that KTM is. Anyway, uh, Yamaha tend to look pretty hard at their chassis and engine sort of halfway through their model cycles, and that 250 is up to that, so kind of seen that one coming. Monster Energy Graphics, if you want to pay a couple of hundred bucks more for them, Jed. Come on, boys. Yamaha, you said they were great. Oh, that 250's good. They're, anyone that gets on the 250 just goes, wow. They're just good. They're fast. They're powerful. And, I mean, honestly, 90% of Australian motocross doesn't need a 450. 250s are good. They're fast. Um you know, it's the same in the trail ride, trail ride world. You know, most people don't need a 450, but they do because it's the Aussie way. Everyone has to have a V8. 
but it's the same with motocross. You know, you don't need a 450. They are good, but a 250 is becoming that good now that realistically, you know. Credit where it's due. That yeah. 250 is fantastic. Like, that I haven't. 250 is really good. I, I haven't spent a lot of time on the new one, but on the previous models I have, and obviously. I've done plenty of testing on all the different models, and yeah, credit where it's due. It's it's pretty hard to beat that YZ250F. Jed, are you going to get one? Are you going to throw yeah. down the cash? Yep, lined up, ready to go. Oh, have you already yeah. lined it up yeah. yet? Or oh, not not officially, but yeah, I will be. I will be up, updating. Yeah, it's happening. Um, which, as I generally do anyway, and I've had the previous models since what. 2000 and since Jesus was a boy, yeah, since they become 254 strokes. Oh, no, it was yeah. before that, before that, yeah, yeah no, yeah. it was before that, yeah, yeah. since yeah. Yamaha's have been blue, yeah. I reckon. You actually have been Yamaha yeah. for I remember like club days at Cessnock and you were Yamaha, yep, wow, yeah, I was, yeah, I was Yamaha, went to KDM for a little bit oh, as, yeah. as I started my apprenticeship, at, and that was at a KDM dealership, got help through them, and then went to Watto's Yamaha. And I've been Yamaha ever since. But yeah, 250F, unreal. Can't wait to upgrade. As they say, you know, faster, better braking, more durable. There we go. <laughs> He's read a press release or two. <sighs> yeah. And as, but we will touch on, as you said, you don't need a, you don't need a 450. I tell people that. People go, go on about a 450. Well, when you can ride a 250F flat out, let me know and then you can go get a 450. Absolutely. I, I yeah. think people get ahead of themselves on that. But like you said, Granny, we we drive twin turbo V8 Land Cruisers and we ride 450s and you know the Ford Mustang V8 sells in droves and you know more you power bigger's better apparently oh, absolutely but so. yeah I I mean I my bike that I have in the shed that I go to take out first when I'm going for a ride is a WR250 I enjoy riding it I can ride the wheels off it my yep. 450 it's a beast I got to tame the thing you know it's the same with the motocross bike I I prefer to rail ruts and hold a 250F wide random motocross track, then I do having to try and hang on to my 450. Yep, exactly how I am. Couldn't agree more. So, I'll be keeping the Husky, boys. I like the Husky, so. Silly man. No. Yeah, for now. <laughs> yeah. No. You, <laughs> I'm sure you'll come up with some other idea and change it like your underwear, so. You're probably right. But anyway. Gas, gas, coming soon. Well, maybe we need to reach out to the guys at Gas, gas, you know, <laughs> hook up the Bikes and Bulldust show with a new bike, eh? <laughs> Bike sales are absolutely booming. I've been into a few dealerships lately and there is nothing in stock anywhere. They've got random sizes of random bits of equipment. Jed, we went into KDM the other day to KDM Newcastle and had a look and they pretty much said that they've run out of bikes and they will run out of bikes in the next few weeks and there's pretty much going to be nothing until the new stuff lands on the boat in September, October-ish. So... That's, That's crazy. It. Some of those are allocated as well already. So some of those are already gone. Yeah. I um, couldn't believe it. Not only bikes, it's parts, everything. Mountain bikes. Like, so you, you push bikes as well, same. Can't, can't keep them in yep. stock. All, all the push bike shops are sold out. Yeah. yeah outdoor activities are just, just going, going nuts, hey? Yeah. 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 But, but there's an inter- interesting one as well. You were after a new set of boots. We'll get to this one later. We'll okay, get to we'll the boot story later. later. I've got this written down on the notes here in a bit. But yeah, but yeah they are. It's just booming. Due to COVID, outdoor recreational activities have just gone nuts. It has. Like, I went to buy my young fella. It's his birthday soon. He's only one. He can't listen to this yet. I went to buy him a new pushy. Dude, I rang around like seven shops trying to get him a pushy and couldn't get one. And it's just a little 12-inch, you know, for a two-year-old. Like, it's nothing. And just, nah, sorry, mate, no stock. And then when they did, they're like, yeah, mate, it's going to be three or $400 or something. And I'm like, oh, gee, semi-broke just buying the kid a pushy, so... (laughs) 
Anyway, so I dived into some figures and just I come up with a few interesting things on the bike sales here. So total sales of bikes in the period, according to FCAI, so FCAI is Federal Chamber of Automotive Industries, and in Australia, all of the brands have to declare how you know how many units they sell, and this happens for cars and bikes and all that sort of stuff, and it's used for banking and all sorts of stuff. But anyway, 52,000 bikes, roughly, which include road, dirt, adventure, quads, and everything, up from 42,000 last during the same period last year. So 10,000 bikes more, or 25% gain. The total off-road units that sold was just shy of 21,000 compared to 14,000 the year before. So that sort of mimics that 25% gain. The big brands, Yamaha, KDM, Husky, Honda, all saw gains of 30, 40% sales. So that's pretty big numbers. Like typically in a year, you expect three or 4% gain. They went 30 to 40%. So massive stuff. If I was going to throw something at either of you guys, Greeny, what do you think was the highest selling bike in the last six months? Jet? I'm going to go with a 110. Okay. That's, yeah, I was going to say 110 as well. The KLX 110 sold more than any other bike in any other category and sold 1,259 units. See, I would have thought it would have been the Honda. The, re- the reason I say that is because... I'm on a 110 Facebook page and everyone is selling second-hand 110s for a fortune because you can't get them. And I actually... More than the retail of a new one. Yeah, like literally. And <laughs> same I, as Peewees. They're doing the same, hey, I've kids. sold yeah. mine because I turned my 110s over and I can't get a new one from Yamaha. And I ride for Yamaha. There's none. There's no stock. So, you know, they're just... Everyone's gone back into that mini-moto phase and I think it's cool because... It's kind of bringing people into the moto who wouldn't normally buy a moto because they can buy a three grand one ten and go and have a party and crash into each other and have fun. But I like motos. Like, why don't I go buy a two fifty now? So, it's totally. A- I think it'd be really cool to get them in, and then hopefully they go and buy a WR two fifty like yes. what you just said, yep. or you know whatever, and they actually get into the sport. Once you know? they've spent three grand, they'll spend ten grand. Like once you're hooked to something, you'll do it. You're in. You know, yeah, if you're having fun and all your mates have got them, yeah. 100%. And then they go, oh, the island's opening back up. Well, I could go there and ride a 450. Well, I'll buy one of those. All right, let's do that. I've got, I've got, I can take my super out. <laughs> that's right. Straight from the 110 to a 450. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. what they will do. <laughs> yeah. I didn't say, that's why I said that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yamaha Monster Energy Edition. Yes. Oh, God. <laughs> to give that some, like, perspective, last year in the same period, and I took these numbers off the CRF 110, so there was 1,092 sold this year. In the same period last year, it was 570. So they literally doubled the sales of those 110s. That's impressive. So that's pretty big. Now, to add a little bit more perspective to 1,259 KLX 110s, which is just the same bike every single year and has been for like, I don't know, 10 or 15 years, right? There's no technology. There's no de- research and development. Nothing's changed. Right, nothing's changed. YZ250F, highly developed, highly researched, changed every few years, sold 403 units. Which is a lot, but like that's a third of what the KLX did. So yeah. it's funny to put that perspective on it. But here we go, the Yamaha boys again. They've cleaned up the motocross category, 403 units for the YZ250, and then the 450F was the second most popular. So Yamaha 1 and 2 on the motocross chart. Granny, your WR450 topped and dominated the enduro category. As so, they do. 
Yamaha was king of sales. But in my defense of my Husqvarna, right, we've got more bikes. Yeah, but they need more bikes to sell bikes. Yeah, and if you add all them up, we smoke yours. It doesn't so matter. So if you get the 350, the 450, and the 500 sales, mate, Yamahas are in the shade. Yeah, but yeah. you've you got to have all those bikes yeah, to sell, to sell, to sell bikes. We just, keep, we just keep it simple. We don't need variety. You've got one that works. Yeah, we've got three that work. I've never pushed a Yamaha out of the bush, but when I take people trail riding, there's plenty of other bikes that I push out of the bush, and none of them are Yamahas. <laughs> well, here we go. Just saying, I've just, I've, I trail ride a lot. There's never been a Yamaha pushed out of the bush that I know of, but I've seen a lot of other bikes pushed out of the bush. Is this because you spray paint the Yamahas, I mean, that breakdown, you spray them like orange or something before they come out of the bush? No, or? no it just doesn't happen. They just keep going. Don't worry, he'll be gas gas next week. You never know. Suzuki are pretty much nowhere eh, in these categories. I tried to find some Suzuki info. The DRZ 450, uh, 400 was the most popular Suzuki, and the DRZ 650 was the second most popular. So they're selling absolutely nothing. They're good for mastering, though. That's what they are. All those sales are mastering bikes. Yeah. No, they are, 100%. They're, they're really good and look, for that. You guys were talking about 250s being suitable for a lot of punters. DRZ 400s are actually pretty good in the bush for just Joe Blow who rides yeah, once ride every six months. trails and the thing just goes for air-cooled. He's not worrying about the things boiling. Dude, and they're like, comfy. Yeah. Sit down. You yeah. don't get a sore backside. They're actually not a bad bike. And the 650s people turn into those adventure, half-adventure things. But yeah. They really should just buy a Tenere and be done with it. Winding back the clock and getting into your career a bit more, Josh, you had plenty of speed as a junior and were more than competitive at state and national titles as a kid. Once you entered the senior ranks as a privateer, you know, 16 years old, was the goal always to make a career from riding bikes or did you just start for fun or where did that go? I mean, for sure it was just fun and games as a kid. Uh, I think it was about 12 or 13 I started just making comments and I'm dad going, I want to be a pro racer, I'm going to make it. I want to represent Australia, you know, and I guess at 13, 14, they go, yeah, yeah, whatever, we'll get it. Um, it wasn't really until we started racing national level, uh, which was Australian off-road, was my first year racing nationals, would have been 20, uh, 2005, um, that I was like, I want to win the Australian titles and I want to I wanted be an Aussie champ racing off-road. That's what I wanted. I want to go to Europe. I want to represent Australia. Um, things like that. So I guess about that, yeah, 14, 15 age that was when, when I was like, yep, this is it. This is where I'm going racing. And um, it got really difficult there, 17, 18, privateer, paying for everything, having to actually pay for things, not just mum and dad paying for things as well. Um, they were still, you know, throwing heaps of cash as well. So um, we were, it was an all-in effort. But I think if, if I didn't get the f- factory ride, the team ride, I wouldn't have um, probably kept going and been where I am now. Yeah, so you just sort of mentioned it there. You started off as a senior on that privateer KDM and then moved to a supported ride with Kawasaki in those you know first few seasons, I guess you could say, as a pro. That privateer KDM and then that ride at Kawasaki, talk about those few years and how you got that ride at Cowie, how that came about. Yeah, uh, I mean, the privateer KDM thing, I had shop ride. You know, I was getting, you know, discounted gear and stuff off things. that Nothing was really free. Um, you know, it was just a lot of cost travelling, really. So that was difficult. And the thing that was hard was I was trying to be a top-level racer and, and I was podium, you know, every every weekend I was on the class podium and I even got an outright podium at 18. 
um, which is you know pretty much still unheard of at this in this you know day and age. Um, we didn't have an under-19s class in the off-road then, so like I would have won that championship three or four times or three times in it before I went up. So you know it was difficult for me if I broke something on the weekend. It was another thousand bucks that me or mum and dad had to come up with to go racing the next weekend. Yep. So that was difficult. Um, we pretty much went all in in our weight, and if I didn't get a team ride, I was done. So I was selling bikes off, and we were just probably going to buy a 450 and just club motocross and enjoy it for the rest. That was sort of the dream over. And I did a club. Uh, it was Cessnock Enduro Club, but they used the Cessnock motocross track. Um, it was a club day. And there was uh, the the Lloyd Brothers, uh, Damien Smith, a few of the off-road guys were racing. And I remember... Banging bars with those guys. I was on a 250. Those guys were on 450s. And I remember undoing Damien Smith's boot buckles in the second corner every race because he'd just get me off the start. And every race, I'd go in the inside of him. And on purpose, I'd turn my front wheel just enough to undo his boot buckles. And then I'd pull up the inside of him and he'd just like have to slow down to put his boots up. And every race, he's like, you keep doing it. So Damien and I had a bit of history because he was the Cowie rider and I was a private KDM. And we banged bars every weekend at Nationals. And every weekend, it was like one or two seconds in it between him and I being second and third. So, going to motocross, I was you know, a cocky motocrosser and undoing his boot buckles. So, it was then that, that weekend I spoke to Vaughan Cumming, who was you know one of the MSC Kawasaki guys. Um, and he pretty much just said, what are you doing next year? And I said, oh, I'm done. This is... Nothing. My bike's getting picked up Tuesday. I've sold it. Like, I'm paying my loans off and I'm going to get a job and I'm working... Still, so I can buy a 450. Um, so he offered me bikes and parts to start with. So I come home all excited. I'm like, Mom, can you help me out with some money? We want to go racing again. I'm getting bikes and parts. Like, And they're still sitting there going, yeah, nah, we're, we're pretty much done here. We can't afford it. We're done. We've spent everything. Um, so Vaughan, before I could ring him back and say, look, still can't do it. Thanks for the offer. He'd rang me and said, right, you're our team rider. You're it. So my world just went, oh, like here I am thinking it's over and I'm like, you know, wanting to cry myself to sleep every night at 18 going, oh, my dream's done to like, oh, I got the Cowie ride, I'm getting free bikes and parts. You know, there was no sign on but bonus money and gear and tyres and, oh, this was Christmas, I get free stuff now. So um, that's how that came about. And then Toby ended up being on the team for 09. Toby Price. Toby Price. So that yeah. was his first year in off-road where he, he won it outright, but he was second in class, however the points worked that year. Um, and from there, we both just took off. So, yeah. Yeah, so after that 2009 season, when you finished up with Kawasaki, you packed up, headed off to Europe, signed a deal to ride TMs, Yep, I believe. Um, how did that deal happen? Where did you live? How, you know, how did you travel around? Yeah, it was a weird one. So... Uh, it was actually meant to be Toby that was going, and I was meant to stay here. Um, so it was organised through Vaughan from MSC. He was really good friends with John Hall from TM Australia, and then TM Australia had a good connection with TM England because of Jake Stapleton, because that's who Jake went and rode for when he was over there. Yep. Um, so originally the plan was Toby to do a year, then I was going to go over and be Toby's teammate and do, do, the, do, the, do another year. So Toby ended up staying here, KDM which is what I was trying to get my hands on. Um, and then when that wasn't available, I went, well, let's go let's go to Europe. So I packed up at 18 and um, – or oh, 19, sorry, then, and, yeah, moved to Europe. Didn't know what was I was going. Like, I was a 19-year-old kid, two gear bags, and just rocked up on off a plane and got picked up in a blizzard and got taken to a house and 
then realised I wasn't allowed to stay in that house because his wife didn't know I was actually coming. So then I ended up someone else's house and that's how it started. And um, yeah, I got TMs. I got a 302 stroke, which was a really good bike. Um, I really liked the bike. Um, and yeah, I went racing. So yeah, we were, I was supposed to live in England. Um, that went south pretty quick. But yeah, the whole experience was just a big learning curve. Any any cool stories or anything that you can share with us from your time in Europe? I mean, Europe was an eye opener for me because um, young kid, been at home, moved over there, moved in with people I didn't know, hung out with riders, and like I hadn't left Australia before. So you know, seeing the world, snow hadn't seen snow properly. So things like that were like wow. Um, Cool experience was we went to France uh, pre-season testing and I went skiing. I've never snow skied. So the boys took me straight to the top of a black run and sent me to the bottom. <laughs> it took me like four hours to get down the run. Um, so that was a real eye-opener. Um, that was a good time. Um, and then the probably the funniest and s- scariest but like weirdest thing that ever happened to me, um, we were trying to get from France, so we were in England for a month, we went to France for a month doing testing with Roderick Thane, he's a uh, French guy who rode for TM Factory, he's raced AMA Supercross and Motocross and blah blah blah, so he was a cool guy to go and train and ride with, and we're trying to get back into England to go and race the first English um, enduro round, and um, we pulled up at Calais, which is the border crossing for the ferry, get out of the truck, go check passports, their passports are all good, the guy's looking at me funny, and then looking at the truck, and then looking at me, and then looking at the truck, and I'm like... He's like, oh, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm just here on a holiday, just riding with some friends and blah, blah. These guys race and I'm just here to hang out. Why is your name on the truck? Because they had like the rider list on the door of the truck uh, and, the, and the country yeah. flags. And I said, oh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm good at what I do, but I'm just here to have some fun. Like, I'm just on a holiday. And he goes, oh, no, you're a professional. And I said, oh, no, I'm not. Like, I'm not. I'm only a young kid. Like, I'm not professional. Like, I'm not getting paid. I'm just... And I was like starting to go, oh, this guy's questioning me. I'm shitting here because I was on a holiday visa. And I probably should have been on a sporting visa. Not that I knew that at the time. Um, anyway, so sure enough, they just grabbed me, threw me in a cell. We're going to question you. Didn't tell the guys in the truck. So they're all out the front going, where is he? What's he doing? So they had to go and park the truck. And I think it was about 12 or 14 hours later, they actually let me out. Um Pretty much they Googled me and we'd made a dodgy website to say that I was racing world championship, trying to get sponsors and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they're going, you're a professional. You've got a website and you're racing world championship. And they read all these press releases and just went, you're a professional. You're out. You're done. So I got locked in a cell for like 12, 14 hours, no phone, no, couldn't ring anyone, like literally just locked in a cell. And I'm like, am I stuck here now? Like, am I, am I, I've never been in jail. I've never been arrested. I don't know how this works. Like, can I phone a friend? Like, what's going on? Where's, team- where's the cell? Like, where are you at this point? In the border control at. At Calais, yeah, before right. you get oh, on the ferry. Bo- on the border, they've got cells there. Yeah, so, well, the, yeah, it was just like a locked-up room, like a cell. Like, you, I like, you know, I've seen TV in a cop station, like a cell. I'm just locked in this cell. Just in you go. Yeah, just, you're in there, buddy, and we we'll sort it out. And then, so, shifts were changing, and, like, people were coming in and talking to me, and then they'd leave again. And then, there's, like, six hours later, the next shift would go, and I'm like, okay, is someone going to fix this? And then, anyway, they just said, no, nah, denied entry into UK. So, they didn't deport me because I wasn't I was still in France and the French were fine I, they didn't care what I was doing it was just trying to get back into England so they gave me a denied entry on my passport I got let out thinking the boys were already gone and they're sitting at the truck going where have you been so they hadn't told them 
And they kept coming in going, what's going on? They said, we can't tell you. So they're just going back out and they're just sitting in the truck going, 14 hours like They'd had dinner and slept and gone like a in. A day later. <laughs> a day later. And then they're like, denied entry. So I ended up then having to get on a taxi to the train station, caught a train from Calais to like Lyle or somewhere, and then caught a plane to Ireland because the south of Ireland isn't UK. So I flew into Ireland and they're like, yeah, yeah, come in. No worries. This is the silly part. The north of Ireland is UK and there's no border. So you just drove straight back up? Bro, up, straight back in. <laughs> Caught the ferry straight across, bro, in England. <laughs> we're, we're going racing, boys. <laughs> it's back on. I didn't end up racing because it was scary. Because we would like, it's proper like I'd be locked up and deported and it would be nasty if I did get caught. So I didn't end up going into England, but I was always up and down the, in Ireland, flat out. Um, <laughs> but going to Europe was difficult then. So I was, I was sort of contracted to race the British Championship. And then part of that was to take me to World Championship. So I'd race the British Championship to make TM look good in England, and he'd take me to World Championship. Sweet. Good deal. Racing good. Well, I didn't race in Britain. I raced a couple of hair and hands in Ireland, which is like, you know, club days here. And then I had to, the truck would have to leave, go to England, and then catch the ferry to France, and then I'd fly from Ireland to France, get picked up, and go race World Championship. Just skip the border just, control. We're just going skip straight England. over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just have to fly back and forth. Or there was, there was one ferry that went... Um, Dublin to France, but it was like a 14 or 15 hour ferry. So I was a pain for my boss. But we fought that for months and months trying to sort that out. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, so after after Europe, you, you've come back here. Um, it's rare to see a, in the motorcycling industry, no matter what discipline it is, a rider to stay with a team for you know longer than one, two, three years. Everyone's chopping around. You've been with Act- Activate Yamalube Yamaha team for nine years um, under the management of former champ AJ Roberts. How's AJ as a manager um, and also obviously the team and sponsors treat you pretty well? Uh, for sure. The team's great. Um, AJ was a little bit difficult to deal with as a manager when he was still racing because he still had that race mindset. So he was really good, you know, away from the track. But when we got to the race, he was like a little bit selfish, which, you know, you're racing, I get it. Um, but I soon got that out of him. Um, a lot of people didn't think that we would work together because we're both very mentally strong. But we get along better than anyone. Like, I class him as one of my best mates. I'd ring him every day. we talk about everything, whether it's dirt bikes or life or people or whatever it might be. Like, we're good buddies. And... um you know, I I don't feel like I like I want to leave. Like I like Yamaha. They've backed me. They've supported me. They've they've you know they've stayed with me when the, you know people have doubted me when I've been injured. Um, the team's good. The sponsors are good. Um, you know, I AJ was a, not a very well liked racer when he was racing because he was sort of the first professional in off road. The other guys were a bit more enduro. Let's have a beer, hang out. AJ was sort of there to do his job. He was the first guy that was probably training properly off the bike. Like he was sort of that first. You know, there was Carney and Josh Strang, and and they were they were sort of around the same time. But AJ was the one that started that and dominated. So a lot of people didn't like him, whereas I looked up to that. Like as a junior. He was the guy in the pits that everyone was like, oh, he's the winner, but he's a bad dude. I was like, that's what I want to be. So I kind of looked up to him. Yeah. And then when I got home from Europe, um, I just want to race my dirt bike. So I was ringing everyone going, who do, who, who's going to give me a bike? How am I going to go racing? And I ended up staying with TM in Australia for the 
a few races that year because they did look after me when I was home. But then I was like ringing AJ going, hey, get me a Honda, get me a Honda, because he had a Honda team then. Get me a Honda, I want a Honda, I want to ride for you. And he goes, well, just wait till next year. And I so I, as far as I knew, I was going to ride Honda for AJ. And I drove to Queensland and there was three Yamaha sitting there. I went, what are these? He goes, oh, you're riding Yamaha now. Oh, okay, that's it. So that's how it all began and um, yeah, been with him since. Yeah, that's yeah, that's great. Um, when you joined the Yamaha in 2012, the 450 was still um, in its first development phase, I guess you would say, of the reverse engine design that we have now, and it's it's ongoing. Um, and it comes, uh, and it's come a long way since then. When it comes to bike development and setup for you guys, who's in who's in charge? Who does the work? Um, and is it a case of here's your bike, off you go? Do, do you get input to the bike development? Um. As in from the factory or from like team bikes? Well, yeah, both, I guess. Did, uh, so did you have any input we don't to, have, to the... We don't have any input to the factory. Um, I don't think they like to allow that to anyone that's still racing. And, I mean, they're so far ahead. It's like anything. They, you know, they're three, four years ahead of, like, the car that comes out next year. They've already got the next model that's four years down the track. So it's like a bike, you know. They're developing and testing for these bikes that are coming out now. That was done two or three years ago. So it would be a little unfair for a racer to be involved in that because he then feels like he's riding on old technology. Um, but as a race team, for sure, I've got a huge input. So AJ does all my suspension and all my engine work and everything on my bikes. Um, and I'm up there for weeks on end. You know, he'll he'll build something. I'll go up and ride it. No, I don't like it. Oh, why don't you like it? Oh, this, that, blah, blah. Okay, I might go away for a few days. He'll change it. I'll come back. And then, you know, we test. So his workshop is at on his property. So we literally ride out the front door of the workshop onto an off-road track and a motocross track. So we spend, you know, weeks on end just up there testing, changing suspension, changing this, changing that, working on this. So, And then when we go away, he still rides a little bit and he does his own development. And if he comes up with something that he feels like it's better, he'll just ring me and be like, I need you up here now. We've got to test something. Come try this. So I'll either fly in or drive up straight in there try it back-to-back it off the bike I've got and be like, nah, it's not better or it's better here and we we work together and move on from there. So I guess that's why I like him. And if there is a problem on a race, if I do have a problem with my bike, we don't stop until we fix it. So if if I feel like I'm let down because of the bike, then we're at his house testing until we're done, whereas a lot of teams aren't like that. Yeah, yeah. Do you, do you develop for also the 250 as well, or you just concentrate on the 450 alone oh, well, for, for the team, I well, guess? Well, I mean, I rode the 250 a bit, and I, I always jump on a 250 and go, you know, I, like Stike's bike will be sitting there, I'll jump on it and do a lap on it and go, yeah, it's too soft, he's a lightweight, but yeah. it's working, it's doing its thing, and, you know, AJ might have um, Stike's bike that he's been riding and then something new for Stike, and I'll ride the two, and because I've done so much testing, I can go, okay, that's doing that better. So he that's that's what he's chasing for sure. I know I, that's 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 better. Yeah, you can help out. So with yeah, that. I definitely do with that. And then same thing with you know the Blue Crew team. I've got Blake Hollis and Mick Driscoll, who I train and ride with you know week in week out. So those guys, if they're struggling with their bikes, I'll jump on and ride and be like, oh, I'll change this, or I'll be on the phone to AJ, or you know it's nothing for me to pull a set of forks apart and change you know fork springs or you know change things. So because I AJ doesn't get to see those guys as much, so because I'm riding with them. I can go, oh, his forks are a bit soft, let's bump the preload or the spring rate or things like that. And you can help him out from down here. For sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's a lot of events on the Aussie 
Aussie Enduro calendar. You've got the uh, AORC, um, Australian four-day Enduro, International six-day. We've been through a lot of these as well. Fink, Hatter. What's the ev- what's the event that you look most forward to? Ooh, what's a, your favourite one? That's a tough one. Um, I look forward to all the events in different ways now. Um, four-day, six-day is cool. Six-day is cool. You represent your country. Like, who doesn't want to do that? Like Team Australia, green and gold, you know... You, you get that Aussie bogan, you go over there and you do the best you can for Aussie. So it's really cool. Um, the four days of Radvan in Australia. I really dislike Fink. The time and effort that goes into that race is absurd. But when you finish that race, you just want to go back and do it again. It is epic. Like it's just one of those events that just blows your mind. But to get there is the most painful, drawn out, long thing you've ever done like we spent 10 weeks there one year just up back up back like I got tendonitis in my wrists and like you're just physically flogged and the letdown of that is it it took away so much from my off-road and all my other things I couldn't train probably because I'd get home and I'd be I'd be wrecked for a week yeah and then I'm going to a national off-road and I'm like oh I gotta go around corners and around trees like how do I do that again oh now back on a plane to Alice Springs to go and pre-run at 160 170 so it took a lot out but it is that race that you you it's scary. It's sort of you're nervous. Um, it makes you want to come back. It you, does. You, it's you get excited for it's it. Addictive. It's just the lead up to it. Yeah, like the ten weeks there, I don't not want to be anywhere near Alice Springs. I want to be home home here. You know, I want to be in my hot tub every afternoon if I can. Um, when Fink's on and I'm not there now, I hate it. I can't look at my phone. I just want to be there and racing it. So it's addictive for sure. So that's a different thing. And then Hadar is next level, probably the most epic dirt bike race I've ever been to. It's fast. It's not think fast, but it's fast. Like you're holding a 450 wide and it's 38Ks of the sickest sand motocross track you've ever ridden. And by the end of it, it is like people have been letting missiles off. There is just sand holes and whoops and riders and... Shit's going on everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> it's yeah, epic. Yeah, yeah. Um, the riders are the scariest part. Like you're doing 160, 170 down straights and there's guys struggling to do 40, 50. We call it sailing because they tack in the whoops. It's like sailing. They go left to right in the whoops and you're coming through wedged across the top of them and you're like, he's on the left. Oh, he's on the right. Oh, he's on the left. Like, oh, you're just freaking out. Like, And I remember banging bars like with Toby and guys like, like Toby and I have banged bars there for like three hours at a time going around three, four lappers every corner. And and hitting into each other, like having a ball. But so some of my best racing moments are Hadar and you're there for a week. It's a cool town. It's cool riding. You do the race. It's epic. You are wrecked for like a week after Hadar. Like you can barely walk. But it's epic. So I'm, yeah, Hadar's epic. You like them all. They're all fun. I They're just like fun. riding dirt bikes. Like, yeah. <laughs> I like racing. And, and that's the thing now. Now I'm getting older. Any race that I get to go and do that I'm paid to do how cool is that i'm gonna keep doing that as long as i can so yeah. um i get a kick about just lining up now whether it's at a state round or a national or at a, you know whatever it might be this might be the last time i get to do this as a professional so it's epic i just enjoy the ride whether it's muddy or dry or whatever like it's it used to be like oh this one's dusty this sucks i don't want to be here. now it's like oh well could be the last dust race you might as well enjoy it like so that's the sort of thing they're all exciting now let's get a dakar in I would like a Dakar in. I really would. So, a lot of organising to do one of those, but 
Maybe. You never know. A lot of funding. I need to win the lotto or something. I think that's the big thing for Dakar. So. Hat is definitely one of those races, and I've done it a couple of times. I can attest to it, man. It is so much fun. Like you said, going down there, hanging out, you know, the track, so much fun. The town get behind it. You know, the pre-race party they have. Yeah. It's such a cool event, and the track is epic. It's wide. It's not like it's some single trail enduro. No, yeah. And it's basically a motocross track. Yeah, it's just a 30-something K motocross yeah, 38K track. 38K motocross track with big straights. Yeah. And, yeah, like it's like fast straights with like little tight-ish sections in between. Yeah. And it's epic. And you guys do go so fast. I remember going down one of the straights. I was on a YZ450. And I had the thing as opened up as I was happy enough to go. Like, it, <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, oh, yeah, I'm going fifth gear, wound out down this straight. Look at me. Like, I like fifth gear and I'm winding it on and I'm like, yeah, I'm good here. This is enough for me. I don't have any more kahunas than this. <laughs> and then there goes Greeny. And um, I was in this battle with Ryan Branford. Remember him? He was yeah, like yeah, Fink yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. And he's on like this Husseberg, like, dude, the thing was like a 700. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Not a 700, but you know 570, I mean. big dog. And yeah. he's just like, straight past me and I'm like every straight he would have gone past you but he couldn't go around corners <laughs> no and then we, that's Fink guys yeah. they're, they're the fastest guys in the world yeah. until you put a corner in front of them no like, so we go down the straight man and he like blows my goggles off as he goes past <laughs> we get like you know a K down the road and we're going through some trees and here's Branford like down in the scrub pulling his big old Husaberg out of there and I go flying past him and I'm carrying on. We get to the next big straight. Oh, yeah, yeah. Back past he goes, and I'm like, wow. Yeah. And then it gets chopped out in the Arvo, and it is, like, whooped and bumpy, and, like, it's nasty. That's when the fun starts. And then, like, you and Pricey just blew past me through these big sand whoops, and I'm like, I've got no business being out here. And, like, <laughs> I wasn't even that far back in the pack. I was, like, I don't know, 60th or something like yeah, that. Yeah. There's 300 dudes. So, yeah, yeah it's four, a cool. I think, I think it's four. 400 riders. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's such a cool event. Four like, row, yeah, four rows. For That's those of you guys who haven't been to Hadar, I would say it's a must-do. Like you, you have to. You've if got you're to a motocross out. or an, a motorcycle enthusiast and like racing dirt bikes, you have to go to Hadar. It is epic. 100%. Even it, just the start line. Just even if you don't race. Yeah. like You can never have raced you know, any sort of big event in your life. Yeah. If you just enjoy riding, Hadar is one of them ones I couldn't recommend highly enough to everyone. For it's sure. just... The atmosphere, the event, the track. Yeah. It's got good riders, but you don't have to be the best. No, you don't. There's have, plenty of room sure. to get past. Yeah. You know, every, like the fast dudes can go past you. They're not going to wipe you out. Like I, I know you talk about dodging dudes and it, it's absolutely true. For sure. But it's not like dangerous. No, it, no. It's such a fun event. And, you know, like I said, if you haven't done it, you guys have got to get out yep. there and do it. You pretty much answered. I got, my next question was about Fink and Hatter and that stuff. So you smoked that. But, um. <laughs> Moving on a little bit, on the bike training, riding skills, you know, something that I've done a little bit of myself in the past, and I think it's hugely important, and it gets really overlooked by average riders, you know. Yep. Little Johnny wants to play soccer in the afternoon. He's got to go to soccer training once or twice a week, otherwise he can't play on the weekends. Yep. He doesn't really care about playing soccer. He just wants to hang out with his mates. Yes. Motocross people don't look at it like that. They're like, oh, I've got to go to this school, or I've got to upgrade my license, or whatever they've got to do, but... I really think we need to change a bit of outlook on that, like that soccer training lookout type sure. thing. Like, if you don't train, you don't race. And I think it's massive as far as development goes. But anyway, you've got the off-road advantage school set up here at your property. I'm guessing they're probably a bit different to your average motocross school? 
Um, for sure. I mean, I, I have seen a lot of motocross schools and I've, I've been to some, you know, growing up and things like that. Um, my off-road advantage school can be for anyone and I do get a lot of kids that do go and do coaching with other motocross coaches that come to me and go, oh, no one's ever picked picked up on that before so you know I'm really big on taking it back to basics and working on why why do you get back while braking like people say to get back but they don't say why you get back so I like to explain to people why they do things on a dirt bike um, that way when they're doing it they go oh that's doing that that's that's loading the rear wheel that's loading the front wheel you know that 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 makes the bike turn easier this is why I'm doing it not just this is where you sit and this is where you like which is what I find a bit of the, the motocross coach is like, yeah, you sit forward in a corner. Okay, but you ask some of those coaches why, they can't tell you. So that's where I take it back to more basic stuff. I can't teach you to go around a corner third gear wide, but I can teach you to ride around in a circle in first gear and have clutch control and balance and throttle control and front brake control, which is what I try and do. So, Yeah, straight back to basics, yeah. Jed, righto. You want to step into the 10 questions? We will step into the 10 questions. Maybe just before we get into the 10 questions, we might not dive into too much more there josh we, i reckon we should have you on again here in another three months six months and we'll we might dive into some more bits about your career because i'm really interested sitting here listening to it you know maybe a little bit more about europe and some of your time here at yamaha so we might leave the serious questions there jed you've got a handful of things you want to ask granny your, your famous 10 questions yeah i've actually got a few more we've had to add a couple more and so <laughs> he's a lucky man today so yeah it's, it's 10 wait. plus a few more i can't wait yeah 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 what was your first ever bike Peewee 50, yeah. So it was a Luke George old bike. Um, Luke, yeah. I grew up with Luke George. We went to school together. So uh, he raced and he had an old bike and he was at school going, you should get a Peewee. So I went home saying, mum and dad, can we go ride this Peewee? I want to buy it. And then at the same time, Luke's parents had rang mum and dad and said, you should get a Peewee. So I was getting home from school and they were taking me to ride and I was like, can we go ride? And they're like, yeah. So... Anyway, Pee Wee 50. That's how it all started. And Pee Wee probably hasn't changed since then either. No, different colours, bold new graphics. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Why change something that isn't broken? Yeah. Your favourite race bike from over the years? Ooh. Um, any Fink bike are cool. They're, those things are epic. They're different. They're so different from a normal bike. Just like the shit we do to them. It's just, yeah, they're different. They're cool. They're fast. They're loud. They're angry. Like, that thing's got big gearing on it and when you start it and you can barely ride off in first gear because it's geared that hard and then your top gear wide for, for minutes like I've got videos of me holding that thing on the stopper for minutes without blipping at like 170 180 that that thing's mind blowing sounds scary yeah, stay away sick. from that it's so not yeah, for me any <laughs> of those are my favourite like just my they're just different so they're just so cool yeah yeah, yep. yep. most influential person throughout your career that you can remember Jeez. Just someone that's memorable even, you know? I wouldn't say there's one person. Um, probably the person that's helped me the most is AJ, for sure. He's helped me the most. Um, and I definitely looked up to him. I still look up to him. He's, he's you know, such a good dude. But I don't really look up to someone as like a god. Like, I look to everyone. Like, I love taking good things away from everyone. Like, even Stike, you know, the way he manages himself on race day and you know, he's a, he's a, like I I look at that and go, wow, that's impressive. And then I got kids like Blake Hollis, who I train, who just has so much work ethic that you just go, oh wow, that's impressive. You know, so I don't really have one guy that's been like a huge inspiration. I you know, there was always Chad Reed, 
you know, yeah, growing up, yeah. David Knight, you know, there's all these Stefan Merriman, there's all these guys that were world champs and people that were, you know, super cool and like I liked them. Um, but like I took a lot from everyone and I looked at people in the position where I wanted to be. So um, Jeff Breaker was actually one of those. He's two years older than me and he was always winning the class in juniors above me. So every year he moved up, I moved up. So I wanted to win the class that he'd won. So for me, he was an inspiration. Now he's just my mate and we just talk a heap of smack and ride push bikes and ride dirt bikes occasionally. He's yeah. the practice king as well. So, um, you know, that's him. Yeah, yeah let's go. Uh, MX or Enduro? Enduro. Enduro, yeah. 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 Started in MX, but he's changed. Yeah. Uh, favorite favorite training that you do? Like we're sitting here in your gym here, so you've got you've got the gym, the rower, mountain biking, hiking up your hill out the back here. What, what what's what's your favorite? Uh, I'm gonna have to say mountain biking. Um, it's sort of my <laughs> go to. That's not a job. Like you know, people go to work and they go dirt bike riding to get away from work. Well, I go mountain bike riding to get away from work. And even though it's a form of training, it's my go- it's my go to. So it's like my hobby, even though it, I still class it as training. Um, but I like all training, and I love the challenge. Like I love the challenge, and I love beating. Um, I'd say teenagers, but anyone younger than me that's trying to beat me at something, I love beating them. Like I, yeah. I get a kick out of that, so it's good. Get to dominate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who's faster, you or AJ? At what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, what are we going into here? <laughs> um, depending on what corner it is, because there's still corners out there that I think he goes around faster than any of us. Like he, you still got up, it. Like. I've seen him right out of the shed in work boots and a helmet and go around corners and you just sit there and go, oh my God, how do you go around that so fast? And like literally Stike's there, I'm there, Driscoll's there, you know, Will Rupright's been there. Like we've all been there and you sit there and AJ just blows our socks off, like just goes around the thing. Can only do that corner because his tongue's <laughs> in the spokes. But that guy's seriously talented. Um, so I'm definitely way faster. But if it, if it's like five metres on one corner, he might have me in a couple <laughs> of places. I'll give him that. Yeah, okay, okay, I'll fair enough. God's country. We see a, we see a lot of posts about God's country. What's what's your definition of God's country? God moved out and I moved in. <laughs> <laughs> you are on a you are on a hill. That's good. Uh, I like that. We'll have to get a photo of the sign on the way in. We are. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did you see the other sign? Upper Stroud Heights. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Upper Stroud Heights. Too. I didn't see that. So when I moved in, uh, funny story. When I moved in. Um, I'm on a hill. I'm above the town. So everyone was like, oh, you live at Stroud Heights? I'm like, yep. And then we took it a bit far and we're like tagging on Instagram. And a few locals were getting sad. So mum and dad got me a street sign for my birthday and we put it in the front gate. Yeah, that's <laughs> And like, people literally drive in going, oh, no, we thought it was like another suburb. And they drive up and it's just my house. Like random like old people like just driving around and stuff. Well, that's what your mum thought. We stopped at the, at the God's Country sign. Yeah. And then kind of... Oh, we went past, reverse back, and your mum was on the veranda there, and then we drove up, and sh- she walked out, and she goes, are you, are you right? Are you lost? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, so, no, no, we're just waiting for Josh. Yeah, well, McNulty, my 6HD film guy, um, we were always hashtagging God's country and like blah, blah, and a lot of people do now. Like, it's, you know, it's getting... So he was like, nah, this is the original. So he got me that sign for, again, I think it was birthday or Christmas. So I'm like, yeah. So yeah. we put that on the tree. So you got, yeah, up Australites and then straight into God's country. You can see where it's come from. It's unreal. Yeah. Next one. Now, if you if you follow follow you on uh, social media, we've got um, 
you know, Facebook and Instagram, you like to do a lot of soil testing. Oh. Now, how do we get the correct moisture level in, in the soil and how do you tell? Well, it depends <laughs> on how much, what the soil is and how much rain you've had. But like my place, if you get about 11 mil and run the rippers, you know, half depth, the dirt's sticky enough that you can clump it together. But if you stand on it, it'll blow apart and it won't stick to your shoe. And that's a pretty good combo. So you want those little balls. You want the little you balls You want to be able to roll it up into a ball. But if you throw it at the ground, it should break. If you roll into a ball and hits the ground and it doesn't break, then your bike's going to be real muddy and it's going to be not a good time. Yeah, yeah. So I don't mind showing the, showing anyone that, you know, we're in some good good um, soil today and we're going to be ripping some loam apart. Oh, and I, th- I think some other people have, have caught on to it as well. You see people tagging <laughs> you back in yes. it now and yeah. they're doing their own soil test and kicking the dirt. Whether they know what they're talking about or not is another thing. No, but and I'm, I didn't realise it was such a thing, but then people started tagging me and I was like, I actually do do that a lot. So, yeah, it's just fun and games. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's good. <laughs> Uh, country music. So you you obviously play a lot of play a lot of it. You see in your stories and stuff. Have you got a favourite song or artist? Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, Jason Aldean is my favourite artist for sure. And um, give you a little snippet of it. Let's, yeah, let's give you a little snippet. Hey. Let's set two beers or jacks or. Uh, a couple of American honeys for me. American honeys, yeah. American God's honeys. country. Yeah, yeah. God's country. In the jacuzzi. <sighs> We've made it. The most famous spa. It is a good yeah, spa. Yeah, the spa. Yeah. Spa. That's a good thing. Forgot about the spa one. Yeah. yeah. It's probably the only spot I actually sit in and just switch off. Yeah. Everything else, I'm flat out. That thing I sit in, country music, American honey, switch off from the world. Done for the night. That's good. Another one, F- favorite favorite car you've had. We we can't keep up with how many cars you've had. I don't know whether what's next. What what and what was your favorite car? If there is one. Oh, oh man, they're all favorite in a way. I can't really go past my last Renault van. That thing's pretty cool. The setup in it. Um, it's got double bed. It's got diesel heaters. It's got fridges. It's it's pretty cool. It's for sale at the moment. If anyone wants a good deal on a car, <laughs> here he is plugging a car for sale. See, See this next? is why we can't I'm like keep up. a used car salesman. Um, I drive a lot. I train a lot. I do a lot. And um, to me, it's a business. So if I'm turning cars over as a company car and, and it's a tax write off, then why not have new? You nice new vans all the time, like why not? So yeah, um, you're always down there at Brian Hilton Motor Group. I see. I mean, they're going to give you a bloody job down there soon, mate. Mate, I could sell anything. I could sell iced Eskimos <laughs> if you want me to. It might be a it might be a job career for me later on. But um, I do have a new Toyota Hilux coming um, through the through the good people at Brian Hilton. So um, that's the the next thing on the cards. I'm unsure whether I'm going to keep the Renault van yet or not um, but we'll see what happens in the future And um, but yeah favourite cars I really liked my GQ Patrol oh I remember that yeah that yep. thing was just a bush pig and it went anywhere and I did not care about it to a point and it was just cool it was real bogan but it was cool um, that's and be unreal out here well that was that was the thing it got to a point where I didn't even want to register it and I just wanted to keep it but those things are going for a real top dollar right now so I ended up moving it on and then um, I had a Ford Ranger for a while too and it was when I had my knee Rico so I wasn't racing and I had a ball in that thing because every weekend I was bored I was like where am I going to check out today where am I going forward driving so I was you know every every weekend I was somewhere forward driving and I really liked that car so that was probably 
in a standout, that's probably my favourite car. Yeah, was the yeah. Ranger because it was powerful, it was comfy, it was a good four drive, and I used to smoke everyone at Stockton in the dunes. <laughs> <laughs> there's a big hill in Stockton. Uh, if you've been to Stockton Beach, there's a big hill that everyone goes to, and everyone gets stuck on it. Well, I used to go up in reverse in that thing and pass people that were stuck trying to go forwards, and I'd reverse up it. In reverse the up it, yeah. So. Went one of those guys flying off of it a couple of weeks ago off those dunes. Uh, no, nah, that wasn't there. me, but I may know who they were, but it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. And my my last one. Is there any plans for Farmer Wants a Wife? Or oh, maybe you might have to sign me up. Hey? Yeah. Yeah, maybe. We'll see. God's Country, the big acreage. Maybe I once, see it. once I retire from racing, maybe I'll have to get a career in showbiz and get on Farmer Wants a Wife. Yeah, yeah. You'll have time for it. <laughs> Channel 9, here you come. <laughs> if you have a question or something you would like to talk about, send us an email or message us on Facebook and Instagram. Social media post of the month. We're going to try and do one of these in every episode and try and find something fun. Maybe it's got to do with our guest or something funny or... Yeah, inter- something that catches our eye. Yeah, yeah, something that was interesting, like last month we had the Motobot thing. So for this month, I thought it was pretty fitting. Greeny, we've got you on. Uh, a post that you were involved with that I was not... I'm not in the clip by any stretch, but I was there and saw all the events happen. So... Just before you mentioned you made it 6HD, so he posted it. So we'll repost it back on ours here pretty soon. So you and I are at the 2018 YZ450 uh, media introduction yep. uh, at Coolum in Queensland. I was there on behalf of Cycle Talk doing you know, my normal testing, shooting video, having a yarn, writing an article, all that sort of stuff. You were there on behalf of Yamaha at the time? Yeah, I was there just with Yamaha as the Yamaha team rider and just wanted to ride the new bikes and do whips, really. So Yeah, just join in and help out. <laughs> yeah, and hang could, out. Look you know, cool. Make the bikes look good. Yeah, so these days are pretty fun. Like a bunch of you pros all show up and yeah. have, you know, have a ride with us, help us out where we need yeah. to. There's mechanics and managers. And let's be honest, they're a pretty fun day. Yeah, they're good fun. It's a good fun. And, and you can talk smack with all the journalists and, you know, they want to bounce ideas off you with the bike and you're like, oh, yeah, I don't really want to say too much, but they're good and, you know, and things like that. So they're a good day. You get to ride with people. It's free food. You know, it's a good time. Yeah, they fly you up. They put yep. you in a nice hotel. Yep. It's all around good it's time. Good. Yep. So I'm out riding around. I think it was early in the afternoon. I'm out riding around just doing a few laps. I'm probably half knackered at this point. And yourself and Chris Hollis come belting past me on like the main straight there at Coolum after you come out of turn one. You guys go flying past me and off you go into the distance. Before we get into what happened, how did you actually get to have a GoPro on you? Like, were you doing stuff for them or it was just spur of the moment? Or um, I was doing stuff for Ben at 6HD. So I think he was filming a bit of what was going on with the new bike and stuff and they just wanted some content. So um, we did a lap where Hollis had the GoPro facing me from from his back um, and then I was doing a lap with it on my chest mount following him chest or helmet whatever it was but yeah. um, just basically in tow getting footage of him riding the new bike so so you just go flying past me nail a couple of turns and I go around this right hander rail the berm and out of the corner of my eye I just see this <laughs> yellow body just get like ejected like a rock out of a slingshot, mate. I've never just seen anything like flew it. Flew through the air. Yep. And I'm like, what was that? What just happened? I come around the next corner and here's Chris Hollis, previous AORC legend. Yep. Just peeled out on the ground. You're behind him. Once he got up, it was actually a pretty funny clip. How was it from your recollection? What happened? So 
there's like a there was like a little it come out of a turn and there was a little step up thing and then it went into like a roller or some humps or something. But what they'd done at Coolum at the time was they had irrigation off the side of the track to water the track. But where they had the stems coming up, instead of just having a stem coming up, they had like a foot high pile of dirt that was rock hard. And there was a tire there too, I think. A tire on it to go like, oh, there's a there's a big mountain of dirt there, but there was a tire there and there's the irrigation thing coming out of it. And I guess it's from people running off the track and just kicking the irrigation thing. They don't want that to happen. The way this the lines had formed up before the step up was it ran you to the edge of the track and Hollis was on a flyer and we were doing inside outsides to look cool for the GoPro. So I'd gone outside, which set me up straighter for the thing, and he'd come inside and sort of seat bounce. And when he landed, he landed off the edge of the track, clipped a tyre that was on the edge of the track, and it pretty much sent him right straight into the mound. And it's just like a foot-high vertical sand wall with an irrigation pipe in the middle. So he's hit it, and it's just ejected him so far. So, like, I'm in the air... And I'd, because I was behind him, I sort of was following, like you get stuck following where people are going. So I was kind of going off the track too, but I managed to pull back on. And then I just saw a 450 fling up in the air about 10 foot beside me. So I'm like ducking and pulling left, waiting for this 450 to land on me. And Hollis goes like, would have had to have been 10, 10 maybe more meters past and just so I just see a 450 drop beside me and then I just see Hollis drop about 10 metres in front of me just as a, like a pretzel I just. couldn't believe what I saw like I come around I was like wow and then these Yamaha people come running because these are like brand new first YZ450s in the country no new, parts new model yep. no parts you know and there's Yamaha people running for their bike and then there's medics running for Hollis and yep. then we're all like gathering around him Fortunately, he was fine. Yeah, he was uh, He was barely winded. He just like, wow, what happened? I was like, dude, you were like good, you know, 10 foot in the air and you went, like you hit that mound and you're like 20 metres from that now. And we weren't, it wasn't a super fast part of the track, but just the way he hit it, it just ejected him and he couldn't, there was nothing he could do. No, there was, <laughs> there was nothing he, he could do. He was just like Superman. He was along for yeah. the ride. It was definitely an epic clip. So if you haven't seen it, we'll repost it on our socials. Have a look, check it out. It it's was huge. Epic. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Search Todd and Jed. I know we did a short episode there a few weeks ago on the Dome. We had a quick five or ten minute wrap up, you and I, Jed, and then we sat down with Scott Fisher for a pretty cool interview. Um, Go back and check it out, guys, if you haven't, you know, it's pretty interesting. Well, I thought it was anyway. Um, Since then, though, I've had a bunch of questions, people ringing me, texting me, guys at work asking me, you know, a whole heap of different things about the Dome. So I thought we might spend a little bit more time on it today and answer some of those questions. But before we get into that, the trip down to the Dome. So a couple of weeks before the Dome, I was made the executive decision. I hated the boots. Not hated, but didn't like the boots I had. I broke both my ankles a couple of years ago and my feet aren't what they were. I don't have the same amount of strength and feeling, so nothing against the boots, but the SG12 Gurneys weren't for me. So I had a set of boots due to be delivered, took a couple of weeks, and just nothing showed up. So on the day that we were going to the Dome, we rang every single dealership in between Newcastle and the Hunter Valley and the other side of Sydney. Not one dealership had a pair of Tech 10s, Alpine Star Tech 10s in stock in any size. Oh, a few had a few odd sizes, but... Nothing that I wanted. So we did find one set at uh, in Parramatta there. So we went and picked them up at AMX Warehouse, which 
unfortunately for that. So anyway, that's how we ended up at the Dome a little bit late. And you missed your ride. And I missed my ride. So come to Discover, guys. You've got to be on there uh, at the Dome on time for your ride. Because if you're not there on time, they're not letting you in the airlock. Well, you've got to be geared up, ready to go, swiping at the old buddy standing there with the iPad, swiping your wristband, 10, 15 minutes to go into that airlocker before your ride. You have to be ready to go. Yeah. So don't go like swanning around Sydney trying to find a pair of boots like I did. So, <laughs> <laughs> so some of the questions that we got thrown at us, uh, lighting inside the dome is one of the ones I got thrown at me. Is it dark? Is it light? Can you see? It looks dark in some photos. Yeah, I didn't know if people were serious about that. Like, I, I got asked that as well, and I think I forgot to reply to someone about it because I didn't know if he was serious or mucking around. But remember the first one we went into? Like, we were running that late. Like, I was, I was like, oh, yeah, I'll set my goggles up when I get down there, you know? And we got got there late. I could get him for mine, but you missed your ride. And I went out with a blue lens because that's, that's the only set of goggles I had set up ready to go. All my other lenses were pulled out. And... uh I thought it was fine. Yeah. Look, I thought it was okay. I didn't have a problem with the light. In hindsight, yeah, look, it wasn't the brightest. It wasn't like you're out riding at one o'clock in the day at some track outside. Probably, I guess, maybe could be brighter. But, like, if you think about the stadium crosses and even some of the super crosses that we've ridden, they were darker than that, like much darker. That's it. And, you know, yeah. like with those events, you have lights in funny spots. So you might have yeah, the well, up ramp of the triple is lit up like, you know, the sun. But can't see the down ramp. <laughs> yeah, but That's you can't right. see the down ramp. Yeah. Or the turn before it, has a, has a it's black and it's got three ruts in it. You can't even see them. Yeah, because the berm's blocking the light or something like that. Yeah. yeah, so yeah. as far as light goes, I actually found it quite even because the lights where they are on the edge of the dome point upwards. And because it's a white dome, yeah. the light just reflects Flex. back yeah. down. It's not really like it's shadows and stuff. No, there's no, I didn't have any shadows. I found it bright enough. Could it be lighter? Oh, look, I suppose, but... Nothing that I would no, be concerned no about. Yeah. Another question I had was talk about the layout and the floor size a bit more. So it's got six lanes, so up, back, up, back, up, back, and then you go across the back of the dome and return to the start. Um, all of the lanes are pretty simple and easy, really. There's a couple of jumps or one obstacle in each one. There's one big jump pretty much in the middle of the track, which is a step up. You don't have to jump it. You can sort of jump onto the front of the second ramp or jump onto the top of the step up or jump over the step up. So there's kind of three ways to do that big jump. Everything else, you know, someone, a kid on an 80 could do it without too much drama. So Yeah, and there is. There's, yeah, there was kids jumping on top there on top of the step up mm. to, to do it. Yeah. I mentioned that it was throw your bike in second gear and off you go. People went, oh, that's a bit slow. You know, geez, mm. that must be a small track. I think people maybe underestimate how capable second gear is. It's, if you took a Supercross guy, you know, we talked about AMA Supercross before, and asked them what gear they were in for most of the track, they would tell you second gear, with the exception of the whoops, of Mm. course. But those guys hit 60, 70-foot triples in second gear. So for you guys going, oh, second gear, it's a bit of a slow track. Yeah, bear in mind that there's quite a lot of riding you do in second gear, so it's not that small. Um, I had people ask me about fumes. Now, look, on the day we were there, I will admit it was a bit fumey. It did put me off a little bit. Um, and I think they could probably do a little bit more with trying to circulate some air there. Like, that's some feedback I would give to those guys. Um, but, you know, you've got to have a little... You're going to have some in You're some, indoors. You're indoors. Yeah. Like, it's going to happen. Remember the Sydney Superdome? 
Yeah, yeah, like, exactly. It was fuming. It was Supercross. Yeah, we were indoors. It's gonna happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they they have the the CO two monitors. And they're going around checking it. They've got the exhaust fans, everything. So it's not getting to a dangerous level or anything. Um, you could notice it when you're riding. Obviously, you you could suck it in, and your throat was getting dry and stuff. But yeah. that's part of riding indoors. That's it. I that's remember like it. stadium crosses were like that. That were outdoors. Like, yeah, remember just that. Part yeah. of racing bikes in a small area. Yeah, <laughs> it's gonna happen. Bike noise. I, I would mention too. It takes a bit of getting used to. Like, you and I both made a comment on it after the first ride. You'll be going around a corner, you know, just second gear, just going into a jump. And then you'll hear some old mate on a two-stroke go to hit that big step up in the middle and the big two-stroke noise over the big jump in the middle. And it sort of throws you a bit. You get a bit like, oh, all these noises. And it bounces around and echoes around the dome. So... Bike and there was no- only four of us in that first in in our first one because we got there early. There was only four of us, and that 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 was it. I was like, "Oh, is someone going to jump on me?" Or, or you know, like was was someone behind me? But it wasn't. You look over, and oh, there he is over there. You know, yeah. Like I ducked a few times. Even I thought heard this up, and I'm like, oh, and I would duck <laughs> as if like I'm getting swooped by a magpie or something. Yeah, but old mates across the other side of the dome, so that takes a little bit of getting used to. So if you are going down, just you know, be aware of that. Any. You know, hindsight's a great thing, Jed. Anything that, you know, you would, in you know, say to those guys, oh, look, what could you improve or? No, I had all the same questions um, about, obviously, pricing and stuff as well. It's all on their website. It's $18 a session if you want to pay for it um, and, and not buy a package. Like, you can buy a package at a discounted rate. You can use it for your whole family, everything, um, and you will use them all. You will, you will go back. Like, we're already talking about going back. And having another ride, um, I had the lighting question. It's it's a stadium cross style track. It's not a supercross track. It's not a motocross track. It's a fun stadium cross track for all levels. Uh, you can w- get on there and watch the videos to see the track layout. Yes, they are, as you'll hear in our um, podcast that we've done for them. Uh, you, they are going to change the track at certain intervals with with events. They're not going to change it every week. That's just too too much. Um, and they will change it throughout throughout the year at certain intervals when they hold. You know, different events like they're talking about having the the bulls there, the bull riding. Um, yeah, I'm I'm ready to go back. Yeah, we were talking about it on the way up here today, and we were thinking, oh, geez, what days have we got off on our roster? And yeah. you know, is it going to be the Friday or the Saturday or which one are we going? So yeah, yeah. we're definitely looking forward to going again. And yeah. it's good I'm, for headlight riders. We'll get Greeny down there too. Mate, I haven't been, but I'm actually keen to see it and and ride it. And I mean, people have got to expect it's in the middle of Sydney, and it's you can ride at night. That's it. Like no, you can't do that anywhere else in Australia. Really, there's no real practice tracks that have lighting. No. Like there's no. It, it's cool. You can ride when it's raining. Like yep. I haven't been able to ride all week. It's raining. But if I was an hour from Sydney, I probably would have gone there and motoed. Like yeah, you know. So people have got to understand that you can ride after work. That's a big win. How many tradies that are like semi-racer, wannabe, club champ, whatever, you know, even privateer national guys work. They can go and do an hour of motos at night. Yep, take their bike to work, go yep. straight from work, straight have a ride, Smash, don't worry about the gym, do, let's do, go riding. Do their do their sessions, do their, you know, four sessions or whatever they're going to do and go home. They've had, a, they've had a good time. They've ridden bikes. I... I it's all positives from where I'm looking. So I think it's a good thing. I actually looked at looking into doing it something indoor up here at one at one stage and it was just not viable with the building that I was looking at. But I just think it's a good thing. Like, it is, yeah. It's all weather. You can do it at night. Yeah. It's an epic spot. Uh, yeah. It's cool. Absolutely. Yeah, it's Head cool. down and check it out. 
I think it's worth the trip. You'll have a lot of fun. Enjoy your sessions. And um, I'm sure you'll be roped into going back just like we are, Jed. If you haven't already, subscribe for free on your favourite podcast app. Product review or tech tip, not 100% sure where this one would fall in. But I know I'm talking to a bunch of Yamaha guys across from me here, but hopefully I've got some KDM and Husky listeners going on here. Guys, you can get a plastic throttle tube to replace your ODI genuine lock-on that comes on the bike. A lot of people, I don't think, realise that. I like ODI grips, and they are good, convenient, throw them on, lock them on, and away you go. But I'm one of these rusted-on, rental, half-waffle-soft grip guys. Like That's just what I've had forever. I don't want to change. I'm happy with that, so can we just leave it at that sort of thing? There's a bunch of aluminium throttle tubes that you can buy that are hundreds of dollars and have all this fancy rubbish on them, but they're heavy or they gum up full of rubbish, and I've personally just never been a fan of them. So anyway, genuine part, ODI, I'm pretty sure actually make the plastic tube. It's $38.50. You can pick it up from your local KDM or Husqvarna dealer. Doesn't come with any grip, so you'll have to buy whatever you want following that. It comes with the throttle cams that clip on to the end. So on your Jap bikes, you already have the throttle cam on it, which has your throttle uh, cable you know, attachment. On the KDMs, they just have like a clip-on piece. So you can have the two-stroke cam for your two-strokes. And then for the four-strokes, so the 250, 350, 450, um, they have two styles of cam. One has a short pull, one has a long pull. The 250 has a short one, 350, 450 had the long one. I prefer the, the short one on the 350 though. So $38.50 from your local KDM or Husky dealer. Replacement tube, check it out. It does make it a little bit cheaper rather than paying 50-something bucks for a set of ODIs every time, but up to you guys. Just an idea. Check it out. Well, that about wraps it up, fellas. Thanks, Greeny, for having us up here at God's Country, mate. We've had a pretty good afternoon and had a good old yarn. Cool stories, More bit of welcome. banter. Yeah. Ah, thanks again, mate. Really Easy. appreciate it. Coming up this month, bit of AMA motocross, MotoGP, MXGP. I don't know what's going on with World Speedway. I'd be cool to see that come back. I like following that on on the KO app and Foxel for you guys who have got that. So that's pretty cool. There's some state bait, state based racing going on. I see the East Coast MX, King of MX is back. Some Sunshine State stuffs going on in Queensland. So it's cool to see those guys back racing. The Transmodo events are coming back. Greeny, you're going to that one in a few weeks? Yeah, we're going to Nabiak, so it should be good. I've got a couple of teams going to that, so it should be a bit of fun. Who's in your team? Can't let all my secrets uh, out. No, I've got a, I got a couple of buddies. Um, so the B team, I've got Mick Driscoll and Blake Hollis, both guys I train. And then i got my friend Matt um, and my other friend Dean. So Dean does my schools and Matt's one of my good mates. And then on my team, I've got AJ Roberts. Um Dry Roberts, who I've been riding with a little bit. So I've been doing a little bit of training with Dry Roberts, the young motocross kid. So he's on my team. And then another friend of mine, Jeff Briggs. So Sounds like a pretty hard team to beat, I think. No, they're both pretty good. We're going to be battling between each other. Um, but I can see myself and Jai and Driscoll and Blake, you know, probably doing the most laps just to make sure we're winning Transmoto. <laughs> I'm going to have to get along to one of these events soon enough. <laughs> Guys, if you haven't already, please subscribe. It's free. doesn't cost you nothing. If you're listening on iTunes, I'd love it if you rated us. Five stars would be even better. If you're listening on something else, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Tell your friends. Word of mouth is certainly helping us out. I have a 
had a bunch of people, you know, telling everyone. So please get along on that one. Jed, what about you this month, mate? Anything happening in particular? Yeah, no, just a bit of riding, obviously. Um, try and, the island's opening back up. Uh, they're posted there, so as of the 1st of August this weekend, they'll open back up. So try and get up there for a few rides, mountain biking, um, and... Ordering a new YZ250. New YZ250. I'll do that at the end of the year. I always like to leave it to the end, so you've got a fresh bike for the next year. <laughs> and, and then, uh, yeah, just work. That's about it. Yeah. yeah. I'm pretty keen to get the Husky out. Keep fiddling around with all my little changes I like doing to it, so... I've uh, got some weekend work coming up, so I don't know if I'll get out for much riding this month. But we were talking about the Dome, maybe even heading down to somewhere like Nowra. So we'll see what happens. Again, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the episode. If you've got any questions, hit us up, and we'll talk to you guys next month.